Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I'm worried driving the car with the NCT test. I'm not going to give this any more credence. I'm not going to let that person win. I will not be a victim. We have nothing to put the patient onto, so they're safer on an ambulance trolley. What I did in the morning, TJ, is crack. It's like yarding. Join the conversation. Call 0818 it's Friday, and if you were listening to uh, Lorraine and Ross, hopefully it, it has set you up well for the weekend. Good morning to you. It's Gareth O'Callaghan here on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM, and we're with you through till 12 o'clock over the next three hours. Lots to talk about, uh, particularly if you watched the RTE Investigates Sex for Rent expose last night. Shocking, shocking stuff. I, I watched it at about 5.30 this morning. It's about 40 minutes long. It's available on the RTE player, which is free, by the way, to download on your smartphone. Or if you've got your laptop, simply just go in and Google it, hit on it, and there you can watch pretty much everything that has been on RTE Television 1 and 2. And uh, it's, it's really well worth having because, uh, you know yourself, if you pay your licence fee, this is uh, available to you. It's available to you either way because obviously it's uh, it's on your, your PC. So we're going to be talking a lot about that uh, very, very shortly. Uh, in the newspapers today, Sinead O'Connor still dominating many of the front pages. Uh, in the Irish Sun, Sinead O'Connor was still grappling with the agony of losing her, set, uh, her son in the weeks before her death. Pals yesterday told how they were blindsided by her sudden passing in London on Wednesday, aged 56. Many people thought that she had passed away here at home in Bray in County Wicklow. She had actually rented a beautiful apartment uh, in Brixton, near Brixton. Beautiful. Uh, very, very comfortable place. She felt very much at peace in London because that's where all of the wonderful fame broke for her back in the 1980s when she was working away there. And she had been working on a brand new album. So Friends and family are now wondering, will they go ahead and release the album of new material that she's been writing and working on? Uh, and I think you'll find that they will agree to do that probably early next year. Uh, Suzanne Harrington in the Irish Independent, uh, she's got a wonderful comment column today based around Sinead. It's only now when we've lost her that she'll be deified. Women crushed by us when they were alive, from Billie Holiday to Amy Winehouse, Jade Goody to Caroline Flack, problematic mother and daughter duo Paula Yates and Peaches Geldof become, become sainted in death. We raise them up because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It's hard to think of women like Sinead, Suzanne says today, apart from Mamie, Nina Simone, also considered deeply problematic when she was alive, but deified after her death. That's where Sinead has gone now, to that corner of the afterlife reserved for stroppy women to whom we wish we had shown a bit more reverence and respect when they were still alive. Great column, that from Suzanne Harrington of the Irish Independent. Now, speaking of sudden deaths, uh, I was really, really shocked when I heard the news this morning. Uh, Wayne actually mentioned it to me earlier. We were only just talking here the other day about the Eagles, the possibility that they were going to bring their final tour to Ireland. Uh, the guys are hanging up their touring uh, outfits and pretty much their, their their guitars and their live equipment and they're planning on retiring because so much has happened, as you know if you're a fan over the last few days. 
But I was deeply saddened to hear of the death of Randy Meisner. Randy was one of the very first guys. He was one of the formative crew. There were four of them. There was Randy Meisner, there was Bernie Leadon, uh, there was Don Henley, and there was, of course, Glenn Fry. And Randy passed away on Wednesday night at his home in the United States at the age of 77 from serious complications due to chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, which is becoming increasingly prevalent, I would say, these days. Um, why? I'm not too sure. Uh, 77 years of age, a wonderful character. And if you get a chance to go on YouTube and type in Take It to the Limit, he does, uh, this was from 1976, he does a live version with the band of Take It to the Limit. He is the guy who was the original lead vocal on that song with the incredible range of voice, a falsetto voice that had an unlimited range. Um, And if you want to download... Legacy, if you have Spotify, Legacy is a collection that was released in 2018 of practically everything they've ever recorded and a lot of live material in there that has been remastered and digitally um, just beautified to modern standards and it really is great. But very, very sad news about Randy Meisner during the week, 77 years of age. He hadn't played with the Eagles for many, many years but uh, he joins them for a couple of occasions over the last four or five years, reunions and that. 77 years of age. Elsewhere in the newspapers today, of course, Dublin Kerry. It's the All-Ireland Senior Football Final on Sunday. Uh, sandwiches and flasks being taken out of, uh, well, certainly the flasks and the sandwiches and the tin foil. They will soon be packed away in car boots as Kerry supporters prepare for the trip to Crow Park on Sunday. We'll come back to that uh, a little later this morning. Now, 083 396 and you can email um, opinionline at 96fm.ie if you'd like to drop us a line. This RTE Investigates programme last night was deeply, deeply disturbing. If you watched it, I'm sure you were... Uh, I suppose flabbergasted by the findings. And uh, the undercover sting carried out by RTE Investigates shows face-to-face interactions between landlords and what they believe is a vulnerable Brazilian student who arrived in Ireland eight months ago. She is, in fact, uh, an undercover researcher for the programme. And in this special episode aired last night, this undercover researcher contacts would-be landlords who have advertised and are offering sex for rent agreements on online property websites. The journalist who used different aliases made sure to emphasise how precarious her situation was, telling landlords that she had recently lost her job as an au pair and was sleeping on a friend's couch at a crowded house in Dublin. One of the first ads the journalist replied to was from a man in his 30s in the Munster area. His ad had a fake picture of a bedroom, no price listed. Before meeting for coffee to discuss the rental agreement, the man sent a string of very explicit messages that made his intentions quite clear to this young woman. Supposedly uh, a foreign student uh, basically sleeping on a friend's couch at a crowded house in Dublin and uh, I think you'll find the next 45 minutes to be absolutely shocking stuff because we're going to discuss this. But first of all, this is the promo from the RTE Investigates Sex for Rent expose last night. Uh, as I mentioned, I watched it. I didn't get a chance to watch it last night, so I switched on the PC this morning and watched it on the RTE player. And 
to be honest with you, it put me off having my breakfast. So I came to work hungry because I just felt sick after watching it. I highly recommend you watch it. Whether you're a student, whether you're a parent, whether you're a concerned individual who just knows more about this perhaps than most people and you're probably wondering, is it actually true? Am I hearing stuff right? Is this accurate? Uh, Well, from this particular uh, RTE programme last night, it seems to be a lot more common than many people thought. Dr Caroline West is a sex educator and relationship columnist for the Irish Independent and she joins me now. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning, Gareth. How are you? I'm fine. I'm still shaking because when I watched it, it was still dark at five o'clock this morning when I was sitting at home watching it on the, 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 the PC. And it it kind of felt like an otherworldly experience to be watching this this on 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 Irish television. Um, now I I know there were talks many many years ago. There were all sorts of rumours that during the Celtic Tiger brothels existed in many you know apartment blocks all over the country because money was not a, a, an object and and uh, it it was becoming something that the guard were very worried about. But this is equally awful, isn't it? Yeah, and unfortunately not new either. Uh, you know, it has been going on for a long time, unfortunately. And it, it's just really, uh, you know, as I said in the program, just pure exploitation of someone who's extremely vulnerable and will be vulnerable in that situation. So they'll continue to be vulnerable because their accommodation isn't stable because it's all based on the contingency of having to have sex with this man whenever he wants to, however he wants to, or else you'll be made homeless again. So, you know, it really taken advantage of, of vulnerable people. There was no talk of uh, of tenancy contracts. Uh, it was simply just uh, in return for a bed and for possibly some housekeeping duties that you could do around our house or our apartment. Uh, I can have sex with you and that's the agreement. Uh, th- there was no clear indication that there would be any form of long-term accommodation guaranteed. Um, it was pure exploitation, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And if you don't have stable accommodation, you know, it makes a lot of other things very vulnerable in themselves. You know, you don't know um, if you can take a job because you don't know if you're going to be in that accommodation long term or just trying to plan or save money. I mean, you know, if somebody's saying they're unemployed, and in that particular situation, you know, that landlord knows they have no money to get away. They've no money for a deposit for a new place, you know, and they don't have a job to save up. So, you know, it is really kind of finding some of the most vulnerable people in our society. And especially if it's a migrant, you know, they might not have as much English or be aware that there are um, tenants rights and, you know, the thresholds and, you know, support services for them. So, you know, it, it, it really is just just preying on people, really. Mm. Just to, for those who haven't seen it, the undercover researcher, uh, she, if the, the whole program begins with the the makeup procedure, she undergoes a, a serious makeover. She has a wig put in place. She looks pretty different to how she would in real life, which is obviously because of the work she's about to do. But she goes on to a couple of these websites and she's looking specifically for accommodation. Now, she's not looking for sex for rent. She's looking for genuine accommodation. Uh, She sees accommodation on a couple of these websites and obviously applies to be considered for it. And almost immediately, uh, she receives a number of replies 
from landlords. Uh, for example, one of the first ads, as I mentioned, uh, was a man in his 30s in Munster. Uh, there was a fake picture of a bedroom on the advertisement, no price listed. Uh, before meeting for coffee to discuss the rental agreement, the man sent a string of explicit messages that made his intentions clear. He texted her, uh, quote unquote, we could do something, I suppose, just all depends what you're up for. I wouldn't mind a little bit of fun. Now, when the researcher says, so a bit of, do you mean sex? The landlord replies immediately, yeah. Further messages sent before their initial meetup read, will you be wearing something revealing? And I want to see how hot you are. Can you give me a hand job after in my car? Uh, it's just unreal. It's just gross. Yeah. To be honest, like there's no there's no defending that there. And I hope that those people are really kind of looking back on themselves after maybe seeing the, the program and reflecting on their behavior and thinking, is this really the kind of person that I want to be, to be preying on people who are most likely in a crisis and in a vulnerable situation? Like that, that's just, it's just disgusting, to be honest. Then there was the couple from the Midlands. Um, the, 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 the man instigated the procedure saying that uh, he and his wife wanted to meet up and wanted to offer accommodation in their house. It wasn't an apartment. They wanted this young woman. She she told them that she was in her mid-twenties, that she was Brazilian, that she was a student, and she needed accommodation. The man then offered her accommodation in the house. He said, you've the run of the house. You'll have your own bedroom, uh, maybe a little bit of housekeeping, mopping the floors. And then he, she said... Uh, and how much will that cost? He said, well, it will, it will require more. So you will sleep with me, you will live with me, you'll eat with me. And she said, and what about your partner? And he said, she'd like a bit of the action too. This is like something from a, a film, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's kind of people living in fantasy land that they think they can essentially just buy a sex slave for their house, really, because that, that's essentially what it is. You know, it's someone to come in and do your hoovering and also give you a hand job at the same time, like, like the other guy was saying. So, you know, in, in that case with the wife, I'd wonder, you know, about if there's already existing domestic violence there in the relationship and the wife maybe has to go along with this situation because obviously the people doing this, are, they're very controlling people and, and they see no issue with it would take an advantage of people there is a power dynamic inherent like this is a, a form of sexual violence so if someone is completely okay with that you don't know what they're doing behind closed doors you don't know how they're treating um their their partner that they have there not to not to absolve the woman there for any kind of blame you know i don't know what's going on in that situation but you know coercive control is you know, is a is a factor there, and if someone is comfortable with violence, they might be comfortable with other forms of violence too. So it it just reads like yeah, like some really awful um, film from the nineteen eighties. Like it's not realistic. Um, and, you know, really, really problematic. So there does need to be some form of looking at how we can protect those vulnerable people. You know, obviously, we have the definition of consent from the 2017 law that consent has to be freely given. But obviously, in this particular situation, there might seem to be a little bit of a gap. But we also don't know the full scale of this, too, because if they're targeting young, vulnerable people, they might know, you know, that you can go and get support for this. Or, you know, they, they might be illegal migrants, so they might feel like I actually can't go to the guards about this so which those people know um, and use to their advantage too so we actually don't really know the full scale 
of what's going on at the moment. We do know Ireland has a really astonishingly high rate of sexual violence, so it's no surprise that this exists. It's just about how do we actually protect people from this and put in places, um, put in place, you know, measures for renters. Like, you know, we obviously have a housing crisis and this is part of it, but exploitative people will look to find any kind of loophole they can. So, you know, how do we move forward as a society where something like this is not okay? And I think the response to the show has shown that most people are really quite disgusted by this behaviour. So I do hope those people wake up today and they have to listen to their neighbours talking about it or, you know, like people in work talking about it. And I hope they hear like those responses and maybe take them on board and reflect on their behaviour. Yeah, just to, to clarify, these these conversations didn't just take place over the phone. These conversations were videoed by the um, the undercover RT investigates team. So the, the the offenders, if that's what you want to call them, because that's clearly where they are, uh, the predators, their faces are pixelated and shadowed. But uh, on the real film, uh, they have been recorded as though their they, their faces are recorded so i'm i'm wondering see there's no legislation here there's no explicit legislation as the psychiatric social worker kieran mcgrath said during the the program last night um the minister for justice has come back and said that the 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 the, the individual and group that would research this and would look into it and try to draft legislation around it just don't have the time to do that this is extraordinary like, uh, to turn around and uh, say it's not going to happen. We will not have explicit laws that will govern this whole area and will stop it in its tracks. Yeah, I mean, it can be definitely very frustrating working in the area of sexual violence and hearing things like that. But, you know, on the other side of things, you know, we do have laws against rape. Mm. We have laws against murder. We have laws against assault. And that doesn't stop people. So, you know, we more so need the cultural change of, you know, getting people to to look at this and go, I don't want to be like that. I want to stand up when I hear stories of it. So I'm really glad to see the backlash because... You know, those people who operate like this, if they never hear any challenges, they might think their behavior is okay or they might feel that they're getting away from it. So what we do need to do is move to a culture where this is completely not acceptable. It doesn't matter if it's illegal or not. It's just something that no good person would even think of doing. Um, And people would call it out if they see it going. So that cultural change needs to come into place where sexual violence is not just normalized because that's where we have it in Ireland at the moment. It's so widespread. It's so common. We still have victim blaming. You know, we still have, you know, there's still going to be people looking at this program and saying, well, those women, they knew what they were signing up to, you know, and then that kind of education piece really needs to come into this and look at those power and, and the nuances around this. So, you know, cultural change along with legislative change is, is where we need to be. So if we can do both, you know, obviously we're not going to have a, a society that's completely free of sexual violence, but it is important to try to work towards that and understand that sexual violence is many things. It's not just rape. It is situations like this. It is situations where, you know, you might say you consent, but you're you're consenting because you're afraid of what happens if you say no. Yeah, it's a form of coercive consent, isn't it? You're, you're being forced into consenting. Absolutely. Yeah, like if you say no to this landlord, are they going to kick you out the next day? Mm. So of course you're going to say yes, So because you, you need to survive. Yeah. So, you know, that's not true consent. So we do need to make sure that like as a society, like we do understand this. So I am grateful for this program to come along to provide that talking point 
in society and reflect on a lot more about, you know, like what does sexual violence actually look like? And that helps victims come forward. There might be people who've watched the programme now and said, oh, that that's actually happened to me. You know, I didn't think I could name that. And, and there are support services out there. You can always talk to your local rape crisis centre. Um, you know, there is support out there for victims of all genders, of all yeah. sexualities, of all orientations. So, yeah, it, it's just pretty depressing as, as these stories go, you know, but perhaps this is, you know, an opportunity to really look at this issue and think, what can we do as a society to change it and, and to look at poverty and to think, well, why are people in this situation in the first place? You know, we shouldn't have people being so vulnerable um, to, you know, not be homeless. We have 12,000 homeless people in Ireland, you know, and we shouldn't be in that situation of having children grown up in homeless services because they grow up to be vulnerable themselves and they might grow up to be part of the adult homeless service so this this is all kind of very it's like a spider web you know of, of being connected and you know there, there's a lot to tackle with everything else but we, you know we can tackle this it's just going to be a slow process of cultural change along with that legislation coming in um you know and, and educating people on what sexual violence is and how we can challenge it and it's worth mentioning as well in relation to the number of homeless people at the moment twelve thousand, as you say uh there are approximately 600 uh, rental accommodation units available to rent in Ireland at the moment. Like, that's extraordinary. So when you think of this young woman, in reality, the choice is either sleep on a park bench or in a cardboard box or have sex with the landlord and there's a possibility that she might have a warm bed and food on the table for her. But that effectively, some people listening to this might say, what's wrong with that? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's actually rape. It's, it's, it's coercive consent. In other words, this individual is being forced beyond her means to accept sex in, you know, in return for a warm bed and a roof over her head. Isn't that the bottom line? Yeah, absolutely. We would see this in uh, domestic violence services a lot when I worked in the services that people would say they were afraid to say no to sex. So they, they you know, they felt confused because they're like, well, I did say yes. But you think about it and it's like it's not a true yes because you're saying yes because you're afraid of, of what he'll do to you if you say no. So that's not true consent. You know, true consent is freely given and it's ongoing. You know, it's mutual. It's both parties parties wanting to go, yes, I really want to have sex because I really want to fancy you or, um, you know, uh, like they're really, really into it. And that obviously isn't the case in this situation. So if it's not freely given and you're afraid to say no because of the consequences, then it's not consent. Um, so, you know, like like we need to get beyond the consent means yes and or no because that yes is not always a genuine yes and in, in cases like this so you know we, we we can tend to harm victims then because they might come away from that and think well I said yes so it's not really rape it's mm. not really sexual violence because I said yes and that's where we need to educate people that you know that's okay you know there's no judgment for you for surviving in that situation but it is sexual violence you know and your yes didn't impact didn't change that it's still sexual violence so those people you know if you're in someone's home and they're like well I, I want sex tonight and you're not feeling like it and you don't want to or you're scared and you still feel like you have to have sex that's it's that's not consensual sex Caroline thank you for joining us this morning yeah, thank you so much, Gareth. Thank you. That's Dr. Caroline West, their sex educator and relationship columnist for the Irish Independent. We'll take a quick break. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Oh, 
Two Grand Minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. I'm in love with the money. Answer 10 questions in 60 seconds to claim 2,000 euros. 2,000 euros. Lorraine and Ross in the morning. I'm getting money. Money, 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 money. On Cork's 96FM. Now, we have to give credit to Cork journalist Anne Murphy, formerly of The Echo, and now with the Irish Examiner, who first exposed the sex for rent story two years ago. She did some incredibly amazing work on the story, so thank you, Anne. Now, Mary Crilly is director at the Rape Crisis Sexual Violence Centre. Mary, good morning. Morning. And I'm glad you mentioned Anne. I was going to mention her because I know she's been investigating it since 2019, you know, and has has had numerous amazing articles on it. This isn't a new phenomenon. That's one thing I'd like to say. Like, I'm in the centre 40 years and I would have come across it, you know, at different stages over the years in different kind of ways, you know, where women might have been already established in apartments and couldn't pay rent or flats, as we called it then. And the landlord would say, well, give me something else. So it's... It is happening. It's exploitation. It's sexual abuse and it's happening. And one thing I would like to say, I mean, I agreed with quite a lot of Caroline said, but the idea of these guys reflecting um, about what they did is ridiculous. I mean, I wish every time I was in court with someone or every time I'd see a perpetrator that they'd reflect about their behaviour, but they rarely do because they feel so entitled. And I think what really struck me last night was the whole thing about the guys kind of making it out to be kind of, this isn't any harm, this is just uh, a bit of fun, this won't do you any harm, and I'm a really nice guy, but come out to the car with me first for a while, and let's, you know, in other words, let's test you out, because that's what going to the car was about. It's very blatant. Is very consistent, and these guys is not their first time out. Mary, one of the many things that shocked me to the core when I was watching this this morning was how brazen these men are, as you say, that they actually sat in full view of busy coffee shops and restaurants with one of them had a pint of lager in front of him, uh, a couple of them had takeaway coffees, casually dressed in t-shirts and jeans, sitting there with their arms on the table, looking across at this young Brazilian woman who was masquerading, I think, as Anna at this particular point. Uh, she said that she was in her mid-twenties, that she had been sleeping on a friend's couch in Dublin and that she was looking for accommodation. And obviously, money was, you know, it, it, it negotiable in that she didn't have very much money. But listening to the man, obviously his face was pixelated so you couldn't recognise him, but listening to his cockiness and the, just the brazen verbose attitude of him almost every time he ended a sentence he laughed it was just disgusting. And that's what I mean about the whole that's what I mean about the whole entitlement you know and I mean it is about sexual abuse and clearly showed it last night is about power and control now there is legislation in place you know where men can't go in or they shouldn't be able to go in and buy a woman for a sex exploitation or for sex or buy a young man or buy anybody and there's no reason why that legislation couldn't be used in these cases I think the government is just dragging their feet on it because, you know, we can't turn around and say, oh, my goodness, we just heard about this last night as Anne Murphy and others would have um, exposed it over the years. And, you know, the idea of I think the way you're looking at this is really good because it's really straightforward and it's really clear. It's not like will these guys reflect on it. They will not reflect on it. They know exactly what they're doing. And they will kind of say, sure, I was just doing to help her out. And what harm? If if legislation were to be introduced, um, do you think these individuals might be aware of a loophole that they might look for if their case was brought to court before a judge? 
They might, but I think any time legislation comes in, whether it's legislation recently about stalking, I'm not trying to go off the point, or yeah. other kind of legislation, people do complain then they do come up and say something because they know they have some kind of control some kind of power something behind them because i mean the reality is um the interviewer was clued in she had support she had somebody behind her she was able to go back to her researchers or the program and say this was awful and because i'm sure there must be times where she felt awful but it really pick a really desperate vulnerable young person on their own in this country you know, trying to learn the language, trying to learn things, and just how raw and degraded they must feel. I mean, it is total looking at a human being and degrading them, but treating it as if I could be your best friend, I'll only want, you know, to sleep with you a couple of times a week, and sure, you'll have a great time with me, all mm. that kind of stuff, where nothing about how degraded that person would feel, you know, if any of this was done to them or any of this happened. This is nothing to do with consent, this is power and control. Yeah. Um, it, it was also interesting that uh, two of the individuals who were offering accommodation in return for sexual favours were looking for young, young Ukrainian women. So you're picking on possibly the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. And you are looking for young. I mean, I imagine if somebody was, you know, 18 or looked 18 or 19, all the better. And it must look um, suspicious. Some people are these guys portray themselves as kind of she's a student and I'm doing her a great favour just giving her a room and she's doing a bit of cleaning and a bit of ironing for me like we all need to kind of watch out for these young people because they are so vulnerable if that was one of our daughters or sons going to a strange place and they might kind of write back home or the families might be here and I would say I found accommodation and then that's a sense of relief for the families but they're not going to say um, and this is what I had to do for it and women we have met over the years young women have said they were afraid to say it because they felt so degraded they felt it was their fault they felt they put themselves in the position of it um, or they just didn't know what to do they just felt so helpless so I think Irish people don't like this behaviour Irish people hate injustice so I'm glad it was exposed to a new generation or that we see it now in a different kind of way and I just hope we all act on it One of the points uh, that the young undercover researcher made last night was that from from her experience of going undercover on this particular mission, one thing became evident to her, and that was that she there was no guarantee whatsoever that there was actually any form of rented accommodation available. That what appeared to be particularly with the Midlands couple was that they were inviting a young girl into their home to live. And she didn't know for how long. And I mean, if you think about it, every couple wants somebody in the home, if they want to experiment with somebody, I'm sure there's plenty of willing people out there who, you know, would be okay to do it, but to exploit a young girl and decide where, when and how is just obscene and it's so wrong and there's power and control and I hope people call them out, I really do hope they're all named and shamed because the behaviour, as you say, blatantly in a coffee shop, having a drink or having a coffee saying, you know, come on, this will be okay and I won't force you, but let's go out to the car first and um, it was really obvious where they were, they were making the laws, they're making the rules and legislation should be in place to protect people in some kind of way. I'm talking to Mary Crilly, Director of the Rape Crisis Sexual Violence Centre in relation to RT Investigates last night. Mary, I'm curious, having watched it this morning, uh, do you think this would give other men ideas? I think other men have ideas. See, I think the majority of men are good men. The majority of men who are, you know, renting houses or that kind of stuff are there just to get the rent and hope they won't have hassle with um, tenants and just, you know, want an easy life. 
But it's like men who abuse children and men who abuse adults. They will do it at a certain small percentage will be consistent about doing it. Um, I think the majority of men will fall through in this. Not at all. But the ones who are doing it, we all need to be realistic and know that they're consistent and deliberate and they know exactly what they're doing. It's not kind of, um, as somebody said on the programme last night, I haven't done this before. I wouldn't believe that for a second. Well, certainly one of the individuals, I think he was, I think he was the man in his mid to late 50s. And uh, he put the young lady into a situation where he, he wanted a fast decision made very, very quickly because he said, I have another woman who's 48 and I have another woman who's 24. Uh, and if you're not interested, I'll go back to the two of them. But you're pretty. Exactly. He wanted the young, the young woman who could he could exploit because I think give more power and control over them. Who probably would say nothing, and he could do whatever he wanted. And even this attitude of what do you want, and a lot of them would say they just want a straight kind of sex. Um, I don't believe that either. I think once they get somebody under their control, they exploit them and degrade them in whatever way they can. And one of the men said, uh, when she said, is it just housekeeping you want me to do? The man said to her, naked housekeeping and perhaps whatever follows that. That's, it's it's, it's just, just blatant. It's it, it is. And that's what I mean about, you know, the men that we might see in court or the perpetrators or the women, like I'm 40 years in the centre and we've seen so many over the years and it's the same pattern of somebody who feels so entitled. Uh, but the problem is with these guys is neighbours won't believe it and other people don't believe it unless they see it because these guys don't just groom the victims, they groom everybody around them that they think, oh my God, they couldn't possibly do this. They're really nice guys. They're just being really helpful and that kind of thing. So for reasons like that, you know, people might take a second look at who's kind of living near them and, you know, question it and challenge it and check it out because we all need to take care of the vulnerable in one way or another. Okay, Mary, uh, it's good to talk to you this morning and thank you for joining us. Uh, Mary thank Quilly you. there. Thank, thank you. you. Mary is director at the Rape Crisis Sexual Violence Centre. Amanda says that young lady seemed extremely vulnerable last night. What would have happened if that individual had followed her after she had said... And I want nothing more to do with this. Well, I, I did notice during the documentary, during the investigation program, that it was made quite clear her by her that she had security literally at the next table if anything went wrong. So they were willing to intervene and prepared to stop anything that might have gone wrong. Um, she wasn't wearing a camera. The camera was being worn by somebody sitting close by, just in case one of the individuals that she was talking to uh, had reached out and said, is that a camera? And, th- and that's my understanding of it. But she was perfectly safe and uh, her safety was paramount and a priority for the producers of the programme itself. If you've been affected by anything that you've been listening to or you might have heard uh, since nine o'clock this morning, and we are going to continue this, uh, please go to the website www.sexualviolence.ie and there's a free phone number. It's 1800 496 496. Join the conversation This is the Opinion Live With Hidden Hearing, changing lives With the latest hearing health technology They're all ears Visit hiddenhearing.ie Corks 96 FM Let me show you what it's all about Simon Murdoch and the best music mix Weekdays from midday on Corks 96 FM I'm the fella in the afternoons that plays the best tunes from this lot Hi, this is Taylor Swift Hey, I'm Dermot Kennedy Hi! 
on the zone. I'm also the guy that's just always dishing out the best prizes on the radio in Cork. This is amazing. I'm actually so happy. Thank you so much. You made my day. Midday to four. Make sure you've got the radio on and make sure you're with me. Simon, how are you? How's it going? Fantastic after receiving this phone call. Let me show you what it's all about. Check it out. Simon Murdoch. Midday to 4 p.m. on Cork's 96 FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. Now, we've uh, been talking since 9 o'clock this morning about this astonishing um, and very brave RTE Investigates program last night on RTE One, an undercover sting carried out by the team showing face to face interactions between landlords and what they believe is a vulnerable young Brazilian student in her mid-twenties who arrived in Ireland eight months ago. She was the undercover researcher. Uh, She was well protected, her safety paramount and priority to the team, but it made for unbelievable viewing. And I've got uh, RT Investigate supporter Aoife Hegarty, who was very much at the centre of putting the programme together last night. Aoife, good to talk to you. Good morning, Gareth. I I mentioned earlier, I watched it on the RTE player this morning, and can I just mention to people, this is probably the greatest invention since sliced bread, if you enjoy some of the great programmes that RTE makes, but particularly programmes like this. I couldn't watch it last night, so I could watch it when I got up at about half five this morning. It was nauseating. I, I, I know it was going on, but to see it firsthand was just sickening. Yeah, and I suppose some form of the sex rent phenomenon has always existed. But when you said it in the context of today's housing crisis and the scarcity of rental accommodation that's out there, it's been elevated to, to a whole new level. And and what you have as a result are people who feel that they've just been left with little choice but to consider all options to keep a roof over their heads. And unfortunately, increasingly among those choices is the sex for rent scenario. And what, as you say, what you'll have seen this night just the very eye-opening, sad and sobering situations that some tenants face. The the two websites that were referenced in, in terms of this young lady's search for accommodation, very vulnerable. Um, you could hear clearly by her that her English was quite good, but not perfect. So th- there was a lot of vulnerability surrounding her search for accommodation. And the predators obviously took advantage of this. The the two websites that were mentioned during the programme, can you tell me a little bit about them? Yeah, well, you know, for some people, Gareth, those websites may not be that sound that familiar. They're websites like Locanto and Viva Street, for example. But yet they do get significant traffic and respectively, actually, they count for the second and third most most visited classified sites in Ireland. Now, on those sites, you'll get a variety of everything. You can get job vacancies, property for sale, buy and sells, even get personals for escort services. But increasingly among all that, you also find room to let ads, which link sexual demands to accommodation needs. Now, some of the ads that you'll find there are vague. They strangely offer rooms at a good price in what, as we know, is a very competitive rental market. And I suppose that speaks to the very hidden nature of this world too, because many tenants um, don't understand the nature of a landlord's intentions until they engage with them further, or indeed when they turn up in person to view a property. But there are other 
ads also, and it's largely those that we applied to that um, signpost this. They're very upfront about it. They're very blatant and they don't even try to hide the deal that's on offer. And the impression I got towards the end of the programme last night was but when RTE decided to go public and approach the the, the, the people who run these two websites, um, the policing of the content on the websites is, let's say, less than desirable, isn't it? Well, we reported each of the ads that we featured in our report to the relevant websites. And initially we did that as a concerned citizen so we would see what the response would be. Now, if we looked at Locanto's um, case, we had flagged those um, ads through a flag button on their website, but yet they remained active. And it was only when we emailed a second time that one of the ads was removed. But yet when we went to them as RTE, they told us that all the ads had then been removed and that they'd taken action to prevent those advertisers from using the site again. But yet they told us that last year, 21,000 objectionable ads were removed from their website in Ireland alone. Now, we don't know exactly what objectionable means, but in anyone's language, that's a very significant number of ads that have to be taken down. And even as of last night, as recent as last night, we found another ad on, on that website advertising a sex for rent arrangement. And if we looked at Viva Street and um, that's also the website where you may have seen the couple who were looking for a Ukrainian lady in the program mm-hmm. last night um, where they did remove the ad when we reported it um, but the couple remained active on the website and they continued to advertise and when we put that to Viva Street uh, they said that in that case it was it regrets that due to human error that particular account was missed and it confirmed that that couple have now been banned and they say that they're reviewing the processes they have in place in Ireland. The, the, this, the, the whole thing is it's, 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 it's completely darkly shadowed because my impression watching that couple last night, the first thing I thought of was first of all the individual, the, the man involved certainly was the dominant character of the two uh, but th- th- they might not even have been married. You know, they might have had alternative plans for this young woman if she had moved into their house. Well, I suppose that is a factor that you're never really know, um, you know, who you're interacting with and, and what their true backstory is. Um, but I suppose this all roots itself, Gareth, in legislation and the fact that because this is not illegal, as you'd have heard Kieran McGrath say in the programme last night, that essentially gives people like that a green light because they think that while it's not illegal, that they can somehow justify it to themselves in their head. And while it is against the law here to purchase sex. It's not yet to, it's not yet been legislated for here to have the exchange of sex for benefits like accommodation. Now there were attempts last year to introduce a ban on sex for rent bill um, that was introduced by the Social Democrats to D. Keane O'Callaghan but it failed at committee stage and really little else has happened on that since. Um, I mean Minister McEntee said she was committed to considering legislative proposals to address the issue as part of a review into part four of the criminal Justice Act. But just this week ahead of our our, our broadcast, it emerged that despite an independent consultant being appointed to conduct that work three years ago, um, it's now emerged that it's no longer possible for that person to complete the study. And so the department must re-advertise that role for a second time, meaning, Gareth, that legislation to tackle the behaviour that we saw last night is still a long, long way off. 
a number of listeners were quite concerned for the young undercover researcher involved last night. We we were shown the the disguising procedure with ma- heavily made up. Um, Heavy makeup, and obviously, then you know the final touch, which was the the, the wig. Um, was she at any stage in any danger? Well, there were very um, strict protocols around, um, uh, you know, how we could carry out the procedure. And at all times, uh, she was surrounded by a team of us as, you know, the production team. But we also had members of security uh, there with her. And I mean, to that regard, it's it's worth noting that in each of the cases that we saw last night, they all tried to get her to go to their car before they met her in a public place. Um, and, And that only speaks true to what if that was a real scenario? Um, and you didn't have that full production team and that and those security um, members around you. You can only just imagine how vulnerable, how insecure, and potentially at danger you would be. Aoife, thank you so much for taking the time out of what is a very busy schedule and talking to us this morning. And uh, have a, have a good weekend and best wishes to all of the RT Investigates team. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, as I mentioned, the program is there. Uh, on the RTE player. You can watch it 24 hours a day. Uh, It's a free service, by the way. You don't need a television license. You can look at it on your laptop or your smartphone if you want to download it. Uh, You can look at pretty much all of RTE's content, RTE 1 and 2, but particularly the RTE Investigates programme last night. That was Aoife Hegarty, uh, our reporter on the programme. Some of your comments. I watched Primetime last night and I just couldn't believe how they can brazenly advertise for women to have sex instead of paying rent. Those men's faces should have been shown. I found it very upsetting, says Maria in y'all. Michael says, Gareth, I watched the show last night. Let me begin by stating I would not agree, encourage or support this behaviour from any landlord. However, I will also state I was not shocked, surprised or disturbed by the show. Perhaps I have lived abroad in too many countries to be shocked by anything I witness here. But in my opinion, the landlords were offering an agreement or form uh, of contract which the proposed tenant was free to accept or reject. At least the tenant was not misled as often happens when a tenant takes up occupancy then the landlord begins to act in a creepy manner. This is just my view. I don't recall any offer of a, a contract. There was definitely a verbal agreement but that means nothing in this situation uh, because clearly the law while, while you know, I mean, there, there are laws governing safety of individuals. Uh, there doesn't seem to be appear to be any express law here. Uh, and I don't think there will be for, for a very, very long time to come. But thank you for that. Um, another caller says, uh, all vulnerable people are targeted like that. I really don't know how you get to change it. I suppose education is a part of the solution. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96FM.
Now, we're going to be talking a little bit later, as you know, if uh, you're interested in uh, the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards, the voting closes this Sunday, okay? This Sunday. So in a short while, I'll read out some more of the categories and uh, the nominations and that. But so you're down to, what, 74 hours now less to get your votes in for that. That's coming up a little later on. Now, we've been talking uh, since 9 o'clock this morning about the undercover program carried out, uh, an undercover sting carried out by RT Investigates, which uh, showed face-to-face interactions between landlords and what they believe is a vulnerable Brazilian student who arrived in Ireland eight months ago. Uh, in, in fact, she is actually the undercover researcher on the program. And that went out on RTE 1 last night, just after the news at 9 o'clock. It's available on the RTE player. Uh, There's been a a massive reaction to it on the phones here this morning. Uh, Like I would imagine there has been all over the country. It was absolutely shocking. Not new, unfortunately. Uh, it's, It's been going on for a very, very long time. In fact, back in January 2020... Three and a half years ago, Justina contacted us to say she had been propositioned while looking for a place to live and she felt it was important to talk, saying she felt it was such a pity that others had been in such fear of actually coming forward and talking about their own awful experiences. She spoke with Deirdre O'Shaughnessy at the time and got a lot of praise for speaking out. Justina, you came across an ad like this. Yes, when I was looking for apartment, uh, house, share or just a room. So I found that uh, at, um, there was no address, just that it's around Glenmire, Upper Glenmire. So I text the person and uh, I get the text back like, yes, this is um, still available. It's available to keep it. When I ask for a price, that person sent me text message, yes, this is 500 euro per month, but if you want to save uh, money, uh, we also have sex. Wow. Okay. Yes. And what was your reaction to that? Actually, I'm stopped chatting. Um, I'm always trying to keep away from those kind of people. It's a little bit dangerous. So I was just happy with that. I was not using my own phone, just a spare uh, phone number from Tesco, what I'm always using just for ads or for some kind of information because I don't want to, you know, some weird people will text me or ring me. You'd never know who mm. is on the other side. So I'm stop texting. That person was stop texting me back. So I was just really surprised and well, yeah. Yeah. So did they reply to you at all on that number anymore? Did, was there any follow-up contact? No, that ad was hanging maybe a few more days and that's it. Only a few more days? Yes. So somebody might have signed up for it? Might be, I don't know. Maybe that person just yeah. take them out, out. I don't know. God, you'd wonder, wouldn't you? I mean, is this the first time you've ever come across anything like this? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, in that time, I was looking really absolutely everywhere. And uh, on on Facebook, uh, there is a lot of groups. I know people looking just for the money and lots of information was like just for room, you need to pay a thousand euro with uh, all bills and everything. So just for room, one thousand, it means someone just want to make a money. People just want to take money before viewing mm-hmm. and they run away. So I was very careful in that I'm actually stopped looking in Facebook 
just on the daft and then I was really surprised after that ad where someone offered just the sex to save her money yeah <laughs> you wonder there, there must be people out there who are desperate enough to go for it yeah I was really desperate because um, in that time I have a poor job and fortunately I was not qualified for viewing Wow. Uh, with fans were like uh, you will be not able to pay the rent and bills uh, my plan was just to rent a um, house, whatever, and then share with someone, mm. my friends. Some yeah. Person, yeah. Yeah. And did you find somewhere in the end? Yes, yes, yes. My, I'm just renting right now with my friend. Yeah. But it is very difficult out there. Like, you're obviously, you're not from Ireland originally. No. And I think it probably is much harder when you're not from here because you don't hear, oh, somebody has a house that they don't use or somebody inherited a house and their granny and they're renting it out. You don't hear all those informal kind of networks that people have. Yeah, like one of my Irish friends, they was have a similar problem to rent something and they come back to live to parents mm. and I was thinking really to buy a camper van yeah. and looking for something yeah and they're not cheap either they're, they're not a, they're not the cheapest option that you might think they were <laughs> I'm good money saver mm. so I was not afraid about the money to pay any rent the problem was it's to found something and yeah wow and like is there any circumstance where someone could have said to you oh you can save money on the rent uh, by having sex and you would find that acceptable I mean I don't think I know anybody who would be up for that <laughs> the funniest thing all my colleagues was laughing why the woman landlord not offered them something yeah. like this <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I don't think that goes both ways usually does it um, so it's the first time you've ever come across it it's never yes. happened to you before or no, since yeah no. I don't think it's very common but it seems to be growing I think so because uh, I remember when I came here um, for the first time, so nearly 13 years ago. Of course, I was living in a small town in Clamel. I was lived there seven years, seven years in one apartment. Six years ago, I moved to Cork. Since that time, I was moving five times mm. with different reason. And seriously, year after year, it's going worse and worse. Mm. Like. I'm happy I have my apartment right now and um, I hope I will stay there how long it's possible but I know a lot of even my friends have a huge problem mm. and the worst is with single mother yeah yeah have any of your friends decided to leave Ireland because of it uh, yes yeah my friends they live because they have big family with three children and uh, Right now, something to rent when you have a pet, children. Mm. It's really not easy. Maybe in the countryside, but not around the cork, not in the cork. Yeah, it's very it difficult. That yeah. So it, for the moment, you're happy enough. You have somewhere. You're renting with your friend, and everything is fine. And uh, do you think you'll see yourself there long term? Well, I have a big plan to uh, get the mortgage. <laughs> so. <laughs> Fingers hope crossed. My, hope my next accommodation will be my own house. So. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Justina, thanks a million for sharing that with us. That's Justina, one of the lucky women. Speaking there with Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, um, that's from three and a half years ago, January 2020. Sure. So while looking for a place to live, she felt it was important to talk about the sexual exploitation that exists behind some of these offers of accommodation, sex for rent. And as I say, the uh, RT Investigates programme is available. If you haven't seen it, it's on uh, the 
RTE player, and I highly recommend it. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Now, this might seem like the strangest story. A West Cork dad had his van, his trailer, and his beautiful classic car, which he just purchased, stolen by a gang of thieves from the hotel car park he was staying in in the UK just hours after checking in shortly after picking up this wonderful vehicle which he was going to restore to full beauty and uh, he joins me on the line right now good morning to you Alistair good morning Gareth how are you I'm fine this was like a a dream come true for you tell me the story yourself and your son headed to the UK to buy a classic car so I'll tell you the backstory first and it may make a bit more sense and a bit more relevance I guess um, so 20 odd years ago, I owned um, the, a couple of these cars and they were Ford Sierra Cosworth and it was in my early 20s and, you know, it, it was a you know a fantastic car, a very powerful car and, uh, you know, I missed it. So um, throughout my years of growing up, I decided that I, you know, at some point wanted to get another one and I'd always told my eldest son about, uh, you know, about the one that I had and, and the work that I'd done to it and all of this. But unfortunately, the cost of these things has gone through the roof. So we were keeping an eye out and keeping an eye out for something that needed work that was going to be a bit of a project that we could do together and recreate, um, you know, the one that I had years ago. Mm-hmm. So that was the plan. Lo and behold, anyway, we found one uh, in the UK, and it was... Uh, the the cost to entry on this one, I guess, was uh, more affordable than normal because uh, it didn't have an engine in it. Now that didn't bother me because it needed it needed a paint job. It needed you know this this and this, but still we had a great base to work on and it was going to be a great project. So <clears throat> we went. Uh, it's an unfortunate tale of events, really. Um, there was a friend of mine that was uh, driving to the UK, um, who's a courier, and he said, "Look." Um, you, why don't we all go over together, the three of us? I'm going over anyway, and we'll go over in my van, which is, was his van. So off we went, and we had a, an accident on the way to the ferry, uh, which was uh, just outside Dungarvan. There was some diesel on the road, and we, we went into a spin and had a, had a pretty bad accident on the way to the ferry. And the van was right off. So we consequently, uh, luckily, all walked over. But we consequently then went on to, to rent, um, rent a van, and um, it was that van and the trailer that was behind the original van um, that got stolen with this car that I bought in the in the UK. So it was kind of, you know, you're trying to replace almost absolutely everything. But it was, it you know, you couldn't really make it up with uh, the, the amount of misfortune that happened in kind of 24 to 36 hours, you know. Yeah. And you say there was no engine in it. So had you were you planning on putting the Cosworth engine in when you brought it home? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, like, the, the thing is, it wasn't, it, like, it was an original Cosworth. It just didn't have an engine, um, which did give me some, um, <laughs> I guess, like, I would have loved to have seen the thieves' faces when they when they popped the bonnet and realised there was no engine in it. <laughs> Just thinking, you know, they can't drive it yeah, away. Uh, yeah, they can't drive it away. So it would have been, you know, it would have been pretty useless to them only to part it out after that. But it was like it was ideal for what I wanted because it meant the cost of entry was much lower um, than, uh, than than a complete one, especially with Brexit now and the way the you know the way the import charges are. It, it makes everything coming in from the UK in the second-hand car market, whether it be classic or current. 
um, next to impossible to bring in anything from the UK to make it cost effective. So yeah. it was, you know, and as well, I, I didn't want something that was a sit in and drive. I wanted to recreate it and I wanted him to be involved um, in the build with me as well and so on and so forth. So it was a perfect, it, it, it was, you know, it was perfect. But like to have, um, you know, to have that then, to have it for, we'll say, the hours that we had it, towing it behind us and, this, you know, what we were going doing. He was making out a list and searching all the parts that we needed and all of that. And then for the whole thing to get taken from under you is, um, you know, having something stolen from you. Remember, my house got broken into the day of my wedding 20 years ago. And the feeling when when you when something gets robbed from you, it's a very violating feeling. Mm. And, you know... I felt that feeling again, and it's an awful experience for, uh, well, he's 17, but a child to feel as well, you know? Um, and, but like, I guess the whole thing is, I just did, I, I really underestimated the car crime or the level of crime and the level of chaos that is in the UK at the moment and the sheer and utter lack of uh, funding. The And, the, you know, it's, the whole system over there is broken, you know. Mm. Oh, it's a highly technical, computerized system of theft at this stage, isn't it? It is, yeah. But like, you know, <clears throat> somebody said to me, "Oh, you know, you must be, you must be furious with the people that took it. You must be this, that, and the other." I, I'm not. I'm actually not. And the reason is, like, what's the alternative? Yeah. These people, ha- these people make a living from going out robbing things. They don't get caught. They make thousands per night. Or, or maybe every second night or wherever they pick up something. So what's the alternative? They go to Sainsbury's and get £10 an hour. I mean, like, if you're, it's, why would you do that if you're not going to get caught? Mm. You know? Um, and the police over there just really, really didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. You know, once you were given an incident number, that was it. You were, you were dealt with. And uh, I, said to, I said to the detective, I said, you know, honestly, what are the chances of ever seeing this again? He said, oh, forget about it. There, there, I suppose many people wouldn't be familiar unless of course you're involved in motorsport you wouldn't be familiar with the differences between an ordinary Ford Sierra and the Ford mm. Sierra Cosworth which I think would have come in probably around about 86, 87 would it have been introduced then? Yeah so the, the three door one came in in 86 and basically they had to do um, they, they had to do a production uh, a, a production car to be able to you know compete in, in motorsport you have to have a production car um, so they bought this the three door um, Sierra Cosworth out which had a half whale tail spoiler and then they did them in the touring car um circuit as well and they did an RS500 for that and then they brought out a Sapphire Cosworth which mm. was a traditional what people would think of as a four-door Sierra saloon and they had those then and they made them in two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive and they were very very successful as, as you know in rallies um, and uh, all over the world really you know uh, so you know there's, there's a huge there's a huge motorsport heritage with these vehicles. Yeah I'm familiar with it I, I had the pleasure of rallying with the late great Frank Marin, the the Sapphire actually, which was an incredible car, an incredible car. I thought I thought you did. I thought yeah. you I did want to say, it, but yeah, yeah, I thought you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, so yeah, yeah, Frank drove one. Yeah, he did. Um, 
Yeah, so you, you're 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 familiar, so <laughs> I am. Uh, that's when you suddenly realise what speed is all about. Uh, this was a Group A uh, Sapphire mm. four wheel drive. Was yours a, a rear wheel drive? And I don't want to get all motorsport an- a- a- anoraki now, but um, th- there were very few of them on the Irish roads. The, the road version of it, which mm. for many people made it instantly distinguishable. Anybody who knew what the Cosworth was like, the Cosworth is the engine, uh, the, the 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 Sapphire. Uh, is mm. is the the actual that's the Ford car? Um, th- th- Mine th- was rear, rear wheel drive. Yeah, powerful. Uh, yeah, I, I, th- th- tell me about the importance, obviously, of trackers. So the importance of trackers, very simple, Gareth. Right. So anybody that's say anybody that's using an Apple device right now, and you have AirPods or you have your your whatever, right? And you can go into the app, find my. And you can see where you last left your AirPods or you can, you know, your 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 laptop or whatever. You can buy Apple AirTags. You can buy Android tags. And something as simple as that would have most certainly helped find um, the, you know, it helped me find the vehicle. Um, like the police knew where the vehicle was, but just didn't do anything about it. But it would have helped me find it. And these things are... They're, they're, they're like 30 euros or 35 euros or something like that. The battery in them, I think, lasts a year. You can put them in, um, you know, I, I've spoken to a lot of people since. Uh, guys have them in their boats. Some people have them in the engine cover of their boats. Some people, you know, they have them on uh, on anything that if it, if, if it was robbed, then at least you could check it. Some people have even stitched them into their children's school bags as well, you yeah. know, which I think is a fantastic idea. Yeah. No, I know none of us like the idea of being tracked. But I can tell you, when you're looking for something near and dear to you that's been taken from you, you'd give your right arm for it to be tracked. Yeah. You know? Great to talk to you anyway, Alistair. And um, as a matter of interest, have you picked up another car to restore? Or so what? Yeah, so what we're doing, obviously, it's a, a bit of a considerable loss. And the only way out of it is, the only way out of it is to go, look, this is unfortunate. And it's, there's no one dead. Um, and to try and turn the positive, like try and look for positive in it. And the positive that's in it is, look, you know, as I've said to my son, like real tragedy is coming. We're going to lose loved ones. This is just unfortunate. And how we're going to get out of this is we're going to trade out of it. So by getting another car, doing it up and selling it and trying to recoup the loss and eventually try to get to the point where we can have cleared the loss and be in a position to to go again, you know. But I think that it, there's there's lessons to be learned in it, and it's um, it's trying to spread the it's trying to spread that those lessons to go. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Look, no one's dead. Yeah. Uh, you know, spread the news about the tracker and just you know, and, and just get up and live a fight another day. And it isn't about poor me and the poor Cosworth. It's about like if anyone's listening to this, if you've got classic cars, vintage cars, or anything that if it was stolen, you'd be really upset. Get one of these tags, put it into it. Yeah, it's so cheap. Peace, you know? peace of mind. Um, so that's my message. Yeah, you know, great to talk to you, Alistair. Thanks a lot. All right, Gareth. Take Thank care. you. That's Thank Alistair you. Hart there uh, talking about that incident. Um, Mike says, uh, you "Remember watching you up around Mullochanish in the nineteen ninety four Cork Twenty uh, in the the Ford Cosworth? Uh, yeah, we had a bad off, unfortunately, and uh, I think we had to walk home." Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Now, our number, if you would like to get in touch with the program, 0833 96 96 96. Sinn Fein TD Mairead Farrell will speak at a commemorative event in Cork City this weekend to honour the immense contribution made by Republican women hunger strikers. Mairead is the niece of Mairead Farrell, who was one of the three female hunger strikers in Armagh Jail in 1981 and uh, Mairead joins me now. Morning Mairead. Good morning Gareth, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it's, do you know, it's, it's lovely to talk to you. It's a time in my life back in the early 80s when I became very much aware of the whole Republican situation and particularly I, I lived in London for about four years in the, in the early to mid 80s. That was the first time as someone from the Republic of Ireland I became aware of Margaret Thatcher's presence in Northern Ireland and the devastating effect that her political agenda had on so many people, that so many people felt that they just had to resort to means whereby they could actually reassert their own individuality, their own uh, their own place in a society and a country they loved. And this... This, this, it's an area of history that I find fascinating. I, I, I really do mm-hmm. think it, it has made an impression certainly on my generation and I would like to think that it will continue to make impressions on future generations. Now, first of all, I, I just want to clarify here. You're the niece of Mairead Farrell. Mairead Farrell, um, along with Dan McCann and Sean Savage, uh, were murdered by the SAS in Gibraltar in 19... I, I'm thinking March 1988. I- Yes, in March 1988, yeah, exactly. But before that, Mairead was very active in the Republican movement. So take take us back to the the Armagh jail hunger strikers. There were three, three there was, uh, was Mairead Farrell, there was Mairead Nugent and there was Mary Doyle. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that what you just said there at the start in relation to your time in London, I think that speaks true to to so many people. And I think that's really kind of a fascinating part of our history, too, whereby people, you know, a lot of people in the 80s had no other choice but to go, you know, to the likes of London for work. And it was then that they really kind of were uh, faced with the reality of the political situation in Ireland um, in many senses. So I think that's a really interesting thing. And and I'm sure that there's been plenty of work done on that, but it it is definitely something worth um, exploring more. But yes, so I think one of the things and the reason we're having this um, event as well tomorrow, I suppose, is all in the lead up to the National Hunger Strike commemoration that will be happening um, in Cork at the end of August. But when we think of hunger strikes, you know, we we think of the 1981 hunger strike um, and, of course, Bobby Sands and the men that died as part of that. And we we think, of course, of Terence McSweeney. Um, But there are some people that aren't maybe remembered as much, um, you know, and uh, hunger strikes that aren't remembered um, as much. So, of course, um, with Cork, you know, the likes of Michael Fitzgerald and Joseph Murphy spring to mind. And then when we think about the role of Republican women um, throughout um, our history, of course, and we all know that famous uh, photo of um, uh, Porrick Pierce and Elizabeth O'Farrell and, uh, and just her shoes remaining, you know, being airbrushed out of history and how that's changed now. But I think when we think about... Um, women even in the 1980s you know there just isn't that much of um uh, an understanding or, or knowledge out there um about that role so in in 90 so there was two hunger strikes i suppose in the start of the 80s in um in the in the six counties and if you look at the the 1981 one everybody is aware of and then there was the one in 1980 mm-hmm. and that was where um you know there some men um in uh you know took part in a hunger strike but then also three women and um, so my auntie was one of them and they started on the 1st of December of 1980 and then that went on um, uh, for for they actually went on for 24 hours more than the men in the end because they weren't sure they weren't able to get clarification and that the hunger strike had actually ended so it's quite fascinating and even just in terms of you know women and men's bodies uh, can, you know can be different and mm. the impact of the hunger strike on women I think is something that um, hasn't actually been explored uh, that much now there's some there's some literature on it now at this point and there's a fabulous book called John Lennon's Dead and um, if anybody because John Lennon di- died in that period in the it, 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 of, of the, during that hunger strike but it's a fascinating book for people to read but I think it's very important for us obviously to understand our history to understand um you know, the role of women within our history. And I think we've now come to that point um, as a society that we recognise that and we recognise the role um, that women played. So I'm really looking forward to tomorrow because tomorrow's not just going to be about, um, you know, it is obviously going to be about the hunger strikes, it's going to be about the role that women played, but it's also going to be looking at what role can women play going forward, you know? And we now see a situation where within Sinn Féin, you know, our, our leadership is, is female. You know, that's very mm. exciting. You know, we have a situation for the first time ever that, Private Cork woman Michelle O'Neill um, is, you know, uh, first minister in the north, and that was obviously in a society that was created that would never see a Republican first minister. And if you think back at the likes of my auntie Mairead, if you think of Mary Doyle and Mary Nugent, you know, when they were on hunger strike in Armagh Jail in 1980, could they ever have imagined um, that that Michelle O'Neill would be in that position? That 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 is where um, society was going. And now we have Mary Lou Macdonald, the first, you know, um, leader of the opposition who's female as well and in my hopes and dreams Gareth uh, she'll be uh, the first female uh, Taoiseach but of course uh, time will tell in relation to that so I think just for women 
within politics, within history, I think we're at a different standing point now. We're seeing, you know, we're really recognising the role that women played. And sometimes that was at the forefront, like um, my Auntie Maraid on hunger strike. But there's so many other contributions that women played um, that just haven't been recognised to this point. So I think that's a really exciting thing. And I would encourage people who are interested in history um, or who are interested in politics to, co- to come along. And what I always say to people is the most important thing is if you have a question, just ask it and, and don't feel like, you know, you know, you're supposed to know the answers to, to things. And it's always interesting to have that engagement and to have that kind of discussion. So I'm really looking forward to it. And um, uh, Mandy O'Leary Hegarty, of course, will be speaking as well. And, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to catching up with, with herself as well, because she's kept me kind of abreast of everything that's going on in Cork as well. So I'm really looking forward um, to coming down tomorrow. I'm just wondering, um, did you have an opportunity to get to know your aunt well? Because it's hard to believe it's No, thir- so it's I was born in 1990. Yeah. Okay, so that was two years after she was murdered. Yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I was the first girl born into the family, hence the name, yeah. Yeah, and when did the when did the interest spring that you wanted to look back at her life and look back at, at the legacy she left? Well, I, I suppose I've... Um, I think when I was about 14, I got really interested in history and, and politics. So it was actually through the... Um, we did in school, you know, Porrick uh, Pierce's speech at O'Donovan Ross's grave mm-hmm. and the famous lines, you know, the fools, the fools, the fools. And um, that kind of sparked my interest in history. But what's very interesting, actually, is that one of the first history books that I then read was um, a biography of, uh, of Mary McSweeney. And I just found it completely and utterly fascinating. And I I wish I could get my hands on that book again because I think it was a little bit too complex for me at yeah. 14. There was parts that I found a bit difficult, but it was it was her um, and I also read a biography of Kathleen Clark and it was just for me actually to see that, you know, women did really play a strong role and of course Mary McSweeney was um, a very strong, a very, very strong uh, character and I also have um, Muriel McSweeney's um, book here actually right in front of me. So I think the role that women have played throughout um, history is just something that's particularly fascinating. Um, and and I think that, you know, there, there's been obviously a number of events and it's very interesting as well to hear from the people that lived through that time. But I think it's also good for us, you know, for those of us who haven't to be able to come together and um, to talk about the impact that, you know, our history has had on us. Uh, and crucially, of course, you know, looking forward into the future. Like, I, I really do believe that, we, you know, we're coming to, to a united Ireland. That's something that I really aspire to. And I think it's in a really exciting time as well, because if you think about it, we have an opportunity to shape the kind of, you know, Ireland we want to live in, to shape the kind of society we want to live in. And that's really, really exciting. And of course, every single one of us will have different views as to how <laughs> that will be. You know, myself and yourself wouldn't have the exact same view as to what we would like to see of society. Mm. But sure, let's have that conversation. Let's talk about it. Uh, and let's get excited about it, I think. Oh, I think it's been, I think it's being had far more frequently than it was even 10 years ago. Can, can I just Absolutely. come back to the, the hunger strike the the women involved were they worried about whether they would be able to sustain the, the hunger strike well i mean i think everybody i would imagine like i i obviously wasn't around at the time and i haven't thankfully not um had that been in that position myself but i would imagine that everybody would be i i think that um of course anybody would be but like the, i'm sure that they understood what they were you know they were going into and what they were doing um so I would imagine that it was very mentally um, difficult um, from, you know, for, for all hunger strikers. I, I don't think that really uh, gender plays a kind of a role in that, but they felt very strongly that they wanted 
um, women to participate um, in that hunger strike in 1980. They wanted um, there to be representation from Armagh Jail as well because, of course, we know of the likes of you know the strip searches that um, women um, endured in prison as well. You know the, those kind of horrendous conditions, and um, they really did want to kind of be very clear in in their commitment to that as well. So I, I do think it's interesting to see how. Um, I do think it's very interesting and fascinating to look at the, the impact of um, hunger strikes, of course, on women. But we have that um, tradition here. You know, we have those three women that did participate uh, in that hunger strike. And I think it's very much something that we need to be more aware of and, and create awareness of because, you know, people are aware, as you know, of, of certain men that took part in hunger strike. But obviously they aren't aware of all men. And I always just think it's really important for us to understand um, our history. I think society really needs to understand their history. Well, I think there's there's a greater acceptance of history as it was rather than criticising the individuals who created that history today. And finally, I've just one 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 last question. And I think what you mm-hmm. know, when I look at the popularity of Sinn Féin, uh, both north and south now, I mean, I think if there was a general election tomorrow, it's a foregone conclusion that there would possibly be a landslide victory by the party um, and a singular government. Uh, which we haven't had in in decades. Um, A lot of young people now saying we like the whole feel of Sinn Féin. Um, Would it be worth their while cultivating an essence of kind of what happened 40 years ago, 43 years ago? Would it... I'm I'm just thinking there are a lot of people who will vote for Sinn Féin who might not be aware of that period in history and particularly... The, the bloodshed caused by the war of the 1980s and the 70s? Well, I think there's two things. So first of all, um, I think, you know, we're 25 years on from the Good Friday um, Agreement. And I think that everybody is, you know, is proud of, of that history of the Good Friday Agreement and everything that it has, you know, allowed to and helped create and achieve and that we're very much looking forward, as I said, um, to a time that I feel that, you know, you know, we are within the grasp um, of Irish unity. I think that most young people that come to me and who are looking at voting Sinn Féin maybe for the first time or voting for the first time are incredibly frustrated and incredibly let down um, by successive governments. I mean, we have a situation whereby young people have are forced to emigrate at a time when we're an extremely wealthy country. I have people con- constantly, every single day, coming to me um, looking for emergency accommodation, emergency accommodation being full, you know, children not being able to access emergency accommodation. We then have people who, you know, I've had friends who were, you know, forced to emigrate because of of the crash and um, they they came, they're trying to come home now 10, 12 years later and they can't get anywhere to live. Like, you know, married couples having to live with their parents, you know, years on end. So I think people have an anchor, but I think that they see hope within Sinn Féin. They see that kind of hope that we will actually deliver for ordinary people, that we can hear um, the issues that that they are facing and that we have actual solutions to, to deal with them. And I think that's where young people are at and I think that's why young people are hope and I hope that we continue to be able to be that voice um, for young people and and for people of all generations and and to give them that level of hope because people need hope and we want to deliver on that hope. Mm. 
Absolutely. Well, the Armagh Women's Hunger Strike of 1981 is the topic of conversation and uh, you're, I know you're giving a, a talk tomorrow. Uh, it's at 2pm, Ballyfahan Community Centre, Tory Top Road here in Cork, 2pm. I would expect you'll get a very, very large crowd and a great reception as well, Mairead, and it's lovely to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Sinn Féin TD, Mairead Farrell. The event again, Saturday, well, it's tomorrow, 2pm, Ballyfahan Community Centre, uh, Tory Top Road. Uh, I would love to have been there, but unfortunately I'll be away for a couple of days. But 2pm, uh, looking forward to your company there, Ballyfahan Community Centre. That's tomorrow at 2. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. I'm in love with the money. Answer 10 questions in 60 seconds to claim 2,000 euros. 2,000 euros. Yeah, Lorraine and Ross in the morning. I'm getting money. Oh, my God, my God. On Cork's 96FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Hours to Protect. Brought to you by Cork's 96FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hours to protect.ie for more info. This week on Ours to Protect, we will learn how to embrace creativity and sustainability this summer by taking part in Cork City's new playful culture trail. Running from July to August, museums, galleries and attractions in Cork City have come together to celebrate play, learning and creativity. The trail is a vibrant initiative inviting families to participate throughout the summer months. Jessica Cull is the learning officer at Nanonagel Place. It was established in 2021 and the idea is it's a trail which has all the attractions, you know, museums, galleries, heritage sites in Cork City and it's a trail that's meant to encourage families and kids to kind of engage with the culture and heritage in Cork City. So you can grab a map, say, from any of the 13 attractions. And on the 13 attractions, there are sections where you can get a stamp, you can do some drawings, you can do some 25 playful culture things. So one of the things that the kids could do is they could try and go to the shaky bridge and hop on one foot. That's one of the tasks that you can try and do. Um, you can go to Blackrock Observatory and get inspiration to draw your own constellation as well on your map. Uh, you can go to Nanonega Place and you can find one of the colouring corners there. So it's all these little fun, playful activities that are just designed to help kids, you know, engage with our city in a nice, playful way. In addition to the diverse range of trail activities, families can keep an eye out for Blahine the Lizard, the Playful Culture Trail's mascot, who will be hiding in each attraction on the map. As a sustainable artist, Blahine encourages everyone to explore the heritage and green spaces that Cork City has to offer by foot or bike and engage in creative activities that don't harm our planet. So her name, I believe in Irish, if I'm correct, means little flower because she likes to hide in flowers. Um, But she essentially is the mascot for the trail, so you can find her hiding around the attraction. So as kids are visiting all the attractions, they can keep an eye out for Blahim the Green Lizard and see if they can spot her. And you might get a sticker then if you find her. 
This year's trail will focus on sustainability and artistic expression, promising 25 exciting activities designed to engage families and children of all ages. Jess explains how they came about the idea for this year's theme. So last year's theme, I should say, was playful pirate culture trail. So that was the theme for last year. Some people might remember that. And this year's theme, I have to give credit to our interns, Paula and Mary-Kate. Um, they did a lot of work as well for the playful culture trail and they actually came up with a theme for this year. So they were walking around the city trying to get inspiration for how we should tackle this year's one. And they just felt that Cork City is a very creative city. There's so much art going on, like the Ardu murals as well. And we thought this year the theme, the artistic theme would fit in really well. And then the idea of adding in the sustainable aspect was really important to us. You know, we want to try and inspire kids and families as they, you know, do their artistic journey around the city but then when they go home we'd love for them to be inspired to like create their own art as well and hopefully by using materials that are just hanging around the house so maybe just leftover paper cups from a birthday party or toilet rolls or leftover pieces of cardboard so maybe instead of putting the recycling bin which is great as well maybe to actually find a way to do something with the old leftover recycled pieces and make something artistic, something that wasn't there before. So again, it's all trying to inspire kids to find their own artistic journey and try and do it in a sustainable way. The Playful Culture Trail encompasses a wide array of captivating locations and various outdoor spaces and picnic points. The intention is to provide families with the opportunity to embark on multiple day trips, exploring different locations and engaging in various activities. It's going to go on for the whole summer, so July and August. So there's no rush. You'll have some time and absolutely you can hold on to it. Maybe do a few attractions one day, another few attractions the next weekend. That's what's meant to be multiple day trips. And just to, again, just to encourage families kids to engage with our our culture in Cork City because there's so much going on in Cork City as well. Sometimes you don't realise all the bits and bobs that are going on. So again, we're just trying to highlight all the things that families can do this summer. The Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Kieran McCarthy, is urging anyone who can to get involved. There are so many curiosities and historic gems to discover and rediscover in our city. So, and I have to say, as a as a character, Blahine the Lizard has provided so much fun actually for young people to follow through the city's historic buildings and places uh, over the past three years. So, my sincere thanks to to all the building owners uh, who've actually got involved with the with the Playful Trail. Uh, it's such a great initiative. So, um, I suppose my message to to everyone is go out and get involved in it and have a little bit of fun. To learn more about the Playful Culture Trail, visit their online website or check the show notes of this episode. Hours to Protect brought to you by Cork's 96FM the IBI and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more info. Now our number is 0833 96 96 96. Uh, we were just looking out the window here. There's beautiful weather, but about 20 minutes ago, suddenly you couldn't see out the window anymore. It was just it was a, a downpour. So I think that's the uh, the make and shade of the weather for the next few days. Very heavy rain showers, but uh, the blue skies are back now. So I hope you're looking forward to the weekend. You have something nice going on. Of course, they have the major international air show happening in Dublin City. If you're travelling over the weekend, be aware that trains will be very busy, but it is a spectacular show. And uh, I'm not sure whether the Red Arrows, I think the Red Arrows will be there, I hear, which is one of the highlights of the show indeed. Now, time is running out to vote for your favourite in the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. You'll find the shortlist at 96FM.ie. 
So have your say now. Voting closes on Sunday, this coming Sunday. And a couple of the short lists I have here in front of me. I have Best Beauty Salon, Sarah Louise Beauty, Image Beauty Salon, The Beauty Zone, Makeup by Laura and Touch and Glow. And then another category we have is Best Hairdresser. We have Three Degrees, Fusion Hair, Heige. I hope I pronounced that right. H Y. G-G-E. Uh, there's Icon Hair Colour, uh, Icon Hair Cork, and then there's The Colourist. And uh, we mentioned yesterday Best Barber and Best Breakfast. So many c- uh, categories and it's a, g- a great way of um, just making people aware of your business because um, advertising is one thing, but I think when you know, you're nominated and uh, liked and loved by the people who you do business with and the people you draw to your premises, it's something very, very special indeed. So voting closes on Sunday, this coming Sunday. You'll find the shortlist at 96fm.ie. So please have your say now and don't leave it too late. A couple of comments in relation to topics this morning. Uh, the Book of Condolences for Sinead O'Connor will be available for uh, signing by members of the public from 11.15am today, 20 minutes time, and will be open from Monday to Friday next week for a period of two weeks, 9am until 5pm, OK? So it's uh, available from 11.15am today and it will be open from Monday to Friday, 9am until 5pm for a period of two weeks. And... Uh, Cork Lord Mayor, uh, Kieran McCarthy there um, in one of the newspapers this morning, I think it's in the Echo actually, uh, making the first entry into the Book of Condolences. Speaking of Sinead, um, the newspapers very, very gently, uh, as it were, paying great respect to the many talents of this particular woman. The Irish Examiner's front page headline, I hope you're at peace, Sinead. Vigils were held in Dublin and London last night as people continued to mourn the death of the singer-songwriter. Dozens of people last night gathered at the Wall of the Fame in Dublin to pay respects to the beautiful soul of O'Connor, while another event took place at the London Irish Centre in Camden. Further events will take place over the weekend and in the coming days. In Dublin, the crowd sang two of O'Connor's best favourite songs, Black Boys on Mopeds, and of course, Nothing Compares to You. And plenty of um, stories and memories and nostalgia from a time in the 1980s when her arrival on the music scene with The Line of the Cobra uh, it, it, the whole it, it just gave such a vibrancy to a period that was bleak. If anyone remembers, particularly back at the time of the hunger strikes in 1980 and 1981, Ireland was just such a sad place. It had literally collapsed around itself. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM. I see a new UK service is looking for lonely or curious men. Um, how you define curious, I'm not sure. To join 11 strangers on a fake stag party weekend in Newcastle. Now, the UK company, last night of freedom, 
<laughs> LNOF introduced what they're calling the world's first ever solo stag do this week, which would allow 12 strangers to eat, drink and party together for two nights in Newcastle as you basically pretend to be a group of stags. Now, you've got to remember that no one here knows anyone else. OK, 12 complete strangers. Uh, LNOF Managing Director Matt Mavir uh, thinks the service is addressing a loneliness issue among men he feels quite passionately about. He says a stag is all about friendship and inclusiveness and brotherhood. At a regular stag, you arrive there knowing people, but you're also with people you don't know. By the end of the weekend, you've shared a lot of experiences with people and you've broadened your social network. If you can do anything you can particularly as a young male, to expand your support network and get to speak to like-minded individuals that can only be good. The weekend experience costs £349 sterling uh, per person. That's not my idea of my experience on stags. Uh, You know, this kind of social networking and broadening your experience. Uh, I, I think the two stags I was on, I haven't been on one for a long, long time. Um... It was really just broadening your experience of how much you can drink uh, and how long you can go without eating anything. And then, you know, if you're coming back on the plane on the Sunday night and you've taken Monday off work, you're trying to wreck, you're trying to wreck your brain and recall actually what actually happened over the weekend. I always remember that story the, the, the late great Jimmy McGee tells about Italia 90. Jimmy, as many of you will know, was known as the memory man. And they had this great RTE sports quiz many, many years back. And you could throw a question at Jimmy and the likelihood was 95% of the time he knew the answer. And it could be the most obscure question you would ever get. And Jimmy told me this story uh, shortly after Italia 90. He was making his way back after the commentary on the Cagliari match back to the hotel. And he was chatting to the, the crew that were with him and... These three guys walked up to him and they were fairly, they were fairly inebriated. And one of them said, you know, oh, Jimmy. And he says, how's it going there? You enjoying the games? And they said, you're the memory man. And he said, yeah, go on, if you question, throw it at me and I'll see if I have the answer for you. What hotel are we staying in? (laughs) Oh, he used to get such a laugh out of telling that one. Uh, And it's a true story as well. Anyway, the dating scene, uh, which I suppose is not far from 11 strangers on a fake stag party weekend in Newcastle, is tough. We've learned that certainly this week and we've been reminded of it a couple of days. Earlier in the week, we were speaking to Dennis and Annette, both of whom were finding the dating scene in Cork difficult to navigate. My conversation with Annette prompted a call from Danny. So Danny, tell me about your experience on the dating scene. Well, First of all, Gareth, is that I don't uh, uh, be on dating lines. I don't be on WhatsApp or anything like that. I have no network or anything like that, like. And, uh, you know, I suppose, like, if I had to be truthful, like, it's very hard for me to find somebody that's that's balanced, that knows what they want. Um, You know, uh, uh, in my past relationships, I suppose, in a sense, like, you know, people did their best, you know, but it was kind of like... uh, it's, it's, it was just very, very difficult. Like, mm. you know what I mean. And when you say, when you say balanced, Danny, what do you mean? When when I mean balanced, no, like I mean balanced in their mind of knowing what do what do they want, and um, and it's it's actually, I suppose, in a sense, if I had to be honest, it's actually hard to you know, to trust people. I know I'm the only one that can be trustworthy in a relationship. I can't do anything about anybody else. Um, 
and that's where I'm at in my life. And I heard your program, and you you were having an interview with some girl from Mallow. That was an S. I only yeah. I, I only caught one or two words, and uh, she kind of ticked off the boxes, really. If I had to be honest, you know, it's some like I'm very emotionally independent and whatever. I live on my own, and you know, uh, like. I suppose I'd like to I'd like to meet somebody, I suppose, that would, uh, you know, like to go for a walk and whatever. And, you know, like when you go walking and things like that, like the best things in life are free. And I suppose when you're walking, it's therapy. Um, and I suppose I'd like to go for a meal with somebody. And I have somebody that you could chat to, you know. Yeah. Like it's somebody that's there for you, really, like in in both ways, not one way, you know. And... Uh, you know, I just think, I find it very, uh, very hard to, um, like, I would be very uh, confident, I would be very spoken, you know, spoken in, in, in a nice manner or whatever. And I treat people the way I like to be treated with respect, but I can't do anything about anybody else, like, mm. you know. But I'd like, I'd like to have someone in my life, you know, like, um, but I would be, I, I, what I'd like to have is a companion, not someone. I don't want to be married. I was already married before. Yeah. I don't want to go down that road or whatever medication be. And I'd like to have a companion, I suppose. That's what I'm saying, really. So have a companion, someone who you can share time with, but also retain a level of independence as well. Yes, and, you know, something I'd, I'd love to as well, you know, like, um, for me, loving somebody... Love is the fall of the wall. Love of somebody is being there for them. And that's, that works both ways, not one way. Yeah. Um, like every other thing in a relationship, like, just just happens. But when it's, when it's one-sided, you know, when it's all about me, 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 it's like, that doesn't work in... in you know. Yeah, that's doomed, isn't it? I mean, if that's the, if it's, if it's one-sided, you can almost anticipate it's going to end very quickly. And what's very important is trust. Yes. That's very important, like, yeah. you know, like, it, it, it's kind of like, and it's my own experience, like, if someone tells a lie, there's a thousand lies to follow, yeah. you know? Um, uh, I suppose, like, it, it's like, and, like, if I have to be honest with you, like, I'm very emotionally independent, but it can, you know, it, it, like, when you're living on your own, it can, you know, it can get lonely, like, yeah, not, not lonely, yeah. like, to be wanting to be with somebody, uh, all the time or whatever it is but it'd be nice to have somebody yeah. you know somebody that you treat with respect and you know and vice versa then like and you know be can I know, a- can I ask how old you are Danny 60 60 a young age what young young in mind and young in heart yeah there's life in the old dog yet yeah 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 and what was it that you you say you could identify with Annette? What did you mean by that? What what sort of qualities were you able to relate to that you liked? To be honest with you, I, I, it, it's amazing really because I never went down Shannon Street and I wanted to the dentist, but he just changed it. But it was just meant to be there. I I caught two comments what she said. Mm-hmm. Right, one of them was that she's very more independent and she likes doing her own thing. That's me down to the T. Yeah. Um. Like that, she's very efficient, and you know, and that she has own, she has her own responsibilities to look after and whatever. Like in other words, what she's saying that she'd like to come and go. That's what she was saying. Yeah. In, in a nutshell, and I think that's 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 the right way to be. Like you know yeah. what I mean? Because people would have other commitments. Like they would have other commitments to their families or whatever may the case would be. Same as myself. 
Do you yeah. know what I mean? And I think I, you, you reach a stage in your life where you, you you respect other people's space and you hope that they will respect your space as well. Y- yes, but I'll say respecting their space, you have to respect every axis of their life, not just one mm. path, like every, like, you know, you like, if, if, to me, if you love somebody, like, you know, like, loving somebody is being there for them and just respect them and have an open mind and, you know, you know, and wish them well. Like, loving somebody, like, is, is being, it's, like, it's, it's not what other people would say. And that's my own experience. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like, I suppose, like, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, I have two kids and I love them very dearly, right? Mm-hmm. And I do anything for them. I have, you know, and I always did and I always will. And they'd be proud in my life from whatever medication be, but they're, they're two, they're, they're, they're adults now. They're adults now and they do their own thing and whatever. But I, in life, what I do is that I mind my own business. And that's right. the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was cast by what and and it says because it's like a mirror of myself. I like to be able to do my own thing, and like it's kind of like uh, I won't go into detail on one of them in the case. But the last relationship I was in, that's five years ago actually, um, you know, I was hurt badly, and one of them in the case would be. But I, all I did was really was just just remove myself, and I had to forgive them people. Yeah. Because if I didn't forgive them, I would get I would have gotten very sick mentally. Mm. I had to do that for myself, my own peace of mind. Yeah, yeah. The, you know what they say, and I think it comes with experience. You see it, is that resentment can make you very, very sick. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. Well, Danny, I wish you well. This is, um, it's a wonderful opportunity to chat to you. And I know Annette is listening and we'll take it from here, as they say. And um, our dating team <laughs> will get back to you as soon as possible, okay? Right, that, that's no problem. And can it be, like, uh, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here or whatever, uh, uh, um, can it be that... Um, my number would be passed on to Annette or would it, would it be is, is it possible or can oh, you yes. do that or? well, well we, what we'll do is we will make contact with her and right. we will uh, if she's interested in exchanging numbers she'll take your number I presume which we can obviously yes, send on to yeah, her well, there's by no text pressure, like, yeah, maybe, exactly you know, yeah. like, like I'm just very I'm, I'm just very grateful like, I suppose in a sense that's, that's, that's I suppose that I have a lot of I have a lot of my life, like I have a lot of uh, friends in my life from whatever, and I like doing my own thing. If I had to be honest, great, you know, okay. as well. You know, I'm very emotionally independent. I do my own cooking, I do my own washing, I clean my own house, and whatever made the case be, and sure if I, And the reason why I do it because of respect. If I knock someone knocks on my door, they're able to come in. Mm. Yeah. I used to always say, that I was up with, like, if you don't make your bed in the morning, you won't have a good night's sleep when you come home tonight. There you go. There you go. Thanks, there Danny. Go. Great to and chat look, to you. Thank you very much for ringing. I appreciate that very much. Thank we'll you talk very to much. You very soon. Thanks very much, okay. Danny. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank Bye-bye. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. What a great guy. So, is Annette up for the challenge? If she is open to a date with Danny, well, then we will set them up in the background. 
So watch this space. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. The Cork Diary. Quartz 96 FM. A golf classic in aid of Cork Stroke support in Mahan takes place on Saturday, the 26th of August at Mahan Golf Club. Golfers of all abilities, along with prospective sponsors, are invited to play in the annual classic. Funds raised will help to support Cork Stroke Support, a volunteer service for sufferers of stroke. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. During the week we were speaking about the uptrend in men looking after themselves and manscaping. Joseph from Joseph's Hair Salon was listening and he joins me now. How are you doing, Joseph? I'm good, my friend. How are you doing? Very, very good. Now, I mentioned that this is not a, really a recent trend. This goes back many years, doesn't it? Oh, it does indeed. Like, it goes back to my time, anyway. And say, I opened my salon in 1985. I'd be 25 eight years of age. And prior to that, I would have been a young man in my 20s and very, very conscious of my appearance. I would have had the eyebrows done. I'd have had um, my back at the time waxed I wouldn't do it anymore now because I just get a little bit shaved because a little bit of hair is nice I would get my chest done I would go for my facials I would go on the sunbed always had to have a, have a bit of a tan um, clothes had to be matching moisturiser cream before I go to bed moisturiser on the body so we're very very conscious of our appearance and obviously having a bit of aftershave and uh, Teeth whitened, even though it wasn't as good as it is now to whiten, but you'd be getting all those things done. And did you draw attention to yourself? Because obviously it, made you, it made you stand out, didn't it? Yeah, unbelievable. I come from Tipperary, a small little village. I was trained in Dublin as a hairdresser. I went home one time, lemon jacket, white trousers, white shoes, lemon socks, and a white top, <laughs> and blonde hair. And my brothers almost had a heart attack. And my mother said, you don't bother going to mass today. She said, you must be exhausted after a week in the cell and the pub. <laughs> and what did I do? I went to mass and I went up to the front seat. That's a normally reserved for the big farmers. <laughs> and up to communion and back down again to make sure everybody saw me. I was like a flash of light. A modern day inspiration. <laughs> my daughter said, you cop yourself on. Upsetting your mother. <laughs> Take that jump off you. They were hilarious. But they'd never introduced me as a hairdresser. They'd always say, oh, he's a barber down the car. Oh, God, yeah. Because you know t- that was a butcher thing to be then, they did in a stylist. My God, excuse me now, I'm a stylist. <laughs> I'm a coffee Anyway, I know speak out, yeah. I do think, like, yeah, they men um, certainly look out. I think now it's changed, obviously. It, it, it unisex, like you see all the lads going off now to the eyebrow bar. Jesus, there'd be nearly queue outside of men, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And they'd be coming out and they'd be getting out of a builder's truck and all that and they look after themselves and they get the sunbed done and they'd fish out. But years and years ago, you, it would have been, with me as a gay man, anyway, I would have been very, very conscious of my appearance. Like men- when you're as good looking as me, you see, you have to keep it up. Yeah. So, so men's, like, what we would regard now as a kind of a modern-day phenomenon, it, it's not because, I mean, you know, gay men particularly were... They prioritised their fashion trends, didn't they, for years? Absolutely, and they spent money on themselves. See, I always think, you know, myself as a gay man years ago, and, you know, I don't need myself to look after. In the sense, I didn't have kids, I didn't have college fees and all things like that. 
So I was able to spend on myself. And I think at the time, that's what I would have done. I'd been very, you know, I'd have to buy something every weekend. I'd have to go for something new. And Lisa's trend were very important to me. Mm. Of course, you know, also wanted to go out and look well. And other people think I looked well. I mentioned during the during the week, and I wasn't sure whether I should mention it, was the old tradition of the back sack and crack uh, oh my God, fashion. Did you ever get it done? No, no, I, I never did. Oh um, I kind of I, I read up on it, and then I thought when I got to the crack part, having got through the sack bit, I just kind of thought, no, I'll close the book now and I'll put it away for another day. Is it still yeah. very popular? Well, it is now, and it's not now. Which again, you want to say it's, it's a lot to do with. With, with most men that don't like their hair, but I have a hairy body now and I like it. I just get a little trim, but I don't get it rashed. But I got it rashed years ago. I got my back rashed. It nearly killed me. Yeah. And I got my chest on, and oh my God, the pain. So I haven't gone down any lower than that. <laughs> but I'd say if I did, I'd say, oh my God, it have popped out. What? Unbelievable pain. Like it's actually, yeah. you know, I don't know how women get it done, really. I don't. But anyway, the men the men are getting it done now more so, and not gay men, and not so saying gay men, straight men would be very, very much into it. Right, right. And, and the eyebrows, and the Botox, and the fillers, and getting the lips done. It's, it, you know, appearance now is very, very important to people. Wax is very different nowadays to, to what it was 20 years ago, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I tear the skin off years ago. It was like candle wax. Absolutely, yeah. It was just you saying, oh, my sweet God, what did I have doing to me? And you'd be sore and you'd be putting on cool and cream, cream and everything. But, oh, you know, yeah. they obviously thought it was worth it. Yeah. All, I like a bit of hairy. Like, I mean, I don't like a smooth body, you know what I mean? Yeah. I like my body to be somewhat masculine. Some some people really love it, you know, shaven and smooth and... That as, wouldn't be me at all. Yeah, no. as though you were an Olympic sw- swimmer. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Now it does. When I do shave myself, I can do my blow dries much quicker in the salon. Mm. I, can, I can walk faster. Because right. when, when I have no hairs on my body, I have less. I'm talking straight now. It's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very... It's, I'm gaining a whole new insight here into... Uh, into, into my business. <laughs> but you see, I'm a hairdresser, I'm a stylist, I'm not a barber. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and Marie does the beard, she's on about the beard, but when you do a woman's beard, it's much different. Yes. Because you have to be more gentle on the face with them. That's true. That's true, yeah. And, uh, and I, I couldn't go waxing them like that, you know what I mean? No. Like Anne-Marie knows how to do the beards for yeah. men perfectly. Oh, Anne-Marie was saying that during the week. She said that waxing and beards don't go hand in hand. They're not a happy uh, company, no, you know. No, no, and it's an art all to itself. Whereas my ladies are fine, I just get the tweezers out and give them a bit of a pull with just a little bit of hair anywhere. Right, okay. And for, just uh, in terms of men and their beards, are beards as fashionable as they were five years ago? I think they are, but I think they're horrible little things. I think some of them could around with bushy, you know, the breast is still inside them. They're actually, <laughs> they're actually not nice. I don't like this. But some men now are, yeah, they're groomed to the last. I say they go away and get it done certainly every two weeks, if not every week, into a, into a salon. Mm. You know, mm. it's like getting the ears done or the nose hair. So years ago, you could pat, pat your noses together. There are so, your nose together, there's so much hair up there. No, there's none of that. You know what right, I mean? right. You get your nose hairs done, you get your ears done, you get your eyebrows done. 
personal, of course. I know you've got someone there who's waiting on a perm, so I'll, I'll let you go. Just one final... Well, well, yeah, I have a perm and I have a body weight. Oh, right. All oh. perms. A perm and a body weight. I mean, they'll wait all day. They'll wait two weeks to get me, so there's no problem. Do, do but well. I would like to say, Garth, what Anne-Marie is doing, Anne-Marie is doing with the younger people getting to check themselves out and all that yeah. is brilliant. I was very, very impressed with that. Or I was, you know, that, that I'm, I'm so interested in that whole area because, you know, all of our lives, all like for generations, men just didn't look after their health. Never mind looking for bumps or for lumps. I mean, you know, we just didn't do anything no. for years and years. It was just no, a, a rite of passage. You'd be afraid to touch yourself. The Catholic Church is so terrified you couldn't even look for a bump. That's right. That's right. right. On that subject, on that note, Joseph, great to chat to you and give my right. regards to your uh, your. I was going to say two patients, your two customers, your clients. Thank, thank you very much. Take Carol. care. You're doing a great job. Thanks, cheers. <laughs> Thanks, Joseph. Uh, great bit of banter there, by the way, with Danny. Really enjoyed that. Thank you, Danny. Uh, Marie says Danny sounds like a lovely guy. Dennis, who was on the show during the week, says I think Danny came across very well. There are a lot of people in our boat and you have to be so careful because there are also a lot of people who are not honest in what they want. The world has become so driven by technology now that dating is harder. A lot of us would have a fear of hackers and cybercrime. And I suppose in fairness it's also a a tendency to worry about what people will think of you that makes you reluctant to go online. Uh, Colin says, eek, so excited to hear about Annette and Danny. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) we're working on it. Maeve says, oh, this is lovely. I hope they go on a date. Katie says, Gareth, you're like Cupid. I hope this works out. So cute. Uh, we have, You never know. You never know what Monday will bring. Sheila says, I have a real good feeling about Danny and Annette. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Corks 96 FM. There's no doubt about it. One of the highlights in sports this year will be Katie McCabe's opener, scored direct from a corner during the week. Uh, Her style and her determination to put that ball in the back of the net had the 17,000 strong of the rectangular stadium and hundreds of thousands watching near and far yearning for a knockout clash. But sadly, it's not going to be. Uh, we do have another game coming up, but I think uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the enthusiasm it probably won't be there. Kev, good morning to you. Morning, Gareth. How are you keeping? I hope you're well. I'm good, thank you. Now I know Sinead's sudden death yesterday it, it took the shine off the whole excitement behind the women's World Cup team. Um, I love your attitude in that you say being there is success. Being there is qualifying was massive success for this group of players. Um, I mean, the thing is, they qualified in spite of the FAI, not because of anything the FAI have done for them over over their careers. Really, you look at the age of that squad; an awful lot of their player, those players, are in their thirties, in their mid to late twenties, and if it's not that long ago that they were scratching around looking for tracksuits. You know, it's um, it's crazy the lack of investment that has gone into women's sport in Ireland, especially with football. And these women have qualified for our first major tournament, and we've competed pretty well. I think ultimately, I think they'll be disappointed in their performance, the second half performance 
I think tactically we were undone by a better side. But we can look back on the performance of the tournament so far and say, look, this has to be the building blocks going forward. You're, you're sat here in the perfect time slot, middle of the day, summer holidays for kids. They're going to be watching half a million people watch the opening game. And yeah. close to that, we'll have watched it again. And you have to take that forward now for the next generation to inspire sides like other nations have done. And you're seeing the way this World Cup is happening. It's evolving massively, the women's game. When you're getting a World Cup where Jamaica are getting a draw against the tournament's host, France, the opportunities for us to really kick on in the women's game is right there. We have some really good players. Katie McCabe playing for Arsenal, one of the best clubs in world football in the women's game. We have other players. Neil Fahey playing for Liverpool. The keeper, Brosnan, played for Everton. We've got some really good players playing at a really high level. And the exposure that they're getting through their club game will hopefully inspire the generation coming forward who have watched this tournament and will have ease of access to the WSL where they haven't had ease of access before to maybe the men's Premier League because of cost. WSL games are going to be free to wear and hopefully they're watching Irish girls perform for clubs home and abroad, whether it be in the Irish League here or abroad, and get inspired by that to want to take up football, soccer and join local clubs and this is where the FAI have to come in and really start to invest in this properly because if they do the sky's the limit because it's brand new Yeah, women's football has really kicked on the last decade and it's only going to get bigger and we have a real chance to be at the forefront of this and develop the talent that's clearly in the country there's clearly talent there and if we can harness that and kick it on we could be celebrating decades to come but it's all going to be on the back of this one tournament and that goal that Katie McCabe scored yesterday from a corner is not uncommon in the women's game but it's um, that'll be looked back on uh, in the same way as Stuttgart as New York and it'll be looked back on in the same light in years to come and convinced of that Yeah we, we were watching the game on Wednesday and it, it reminded me, and I'm sure it reminded you, of the build-up to Italia 90. The bunting, the jerseys, the caps, the scarves, like the pubs were kitted out. It was an incredible atmosphere, wasn't it? It was amazing. But the thing is, for me, Italia 90, I wasn't living in Ireland. I was living in England then. Wow. And it was it was massive for us because we Stuttgart was just two years before. And we were there with our chest. I knew how good we were in 1990 and I expected us to do well. So I was going into pubs with my chest out. I was like, yeah, we're going to do this, this, this. And it was young for life, delighted with life. But from what my friends back here were telling me, it was unreal. The amount of credit union loans that were taken back then to make yeah. sure that, that that people stayed out there forever. I know people who went there. Like, and there were, I know one guy I do a podcast with in Dublin, and he still talks about being in Italy at 12 years of age. And it's still one of the highlights of his life. And the thing is, for the women, in two years' time, the Euro next European Championships are in Switzerland. And this core group of players has a real chance of qualifying for that. And with it being closer, people will travel a lot more. I mean, Australia, there's an awful lot of Irish people in Australia. And you saw that yesterday in the crowd. The 17,000 crowd was largely made up of people who were probably living out there and went to games and were brilliant at the games. But... To have a, a European Championships in Switzerland in two years' time is something for us to focus on as a country. Mm. Like we got to get there and really harness everything that these women have done now and kick it on. 
that's for me that's the biggest legacy that this group of players will ever have is that they're going to be the standard bearers for the ones to come out, come after them and just you know on on the whole investments thing and on the whole looking that far ahead looking beyond that looking four years time down the road um the, you know the fair weather football fans were were known to say in the last few weeks where did this all come from <laughs> suddenly we've got an irish team playing a, a women's team playing in australia these women, they've been playing football since they were four years of age. And that's what got them there. It, it wasn't the, the FAI. It was their determination, wasn't it? It was Vera Pau. It was Katie McCabe. So now is when they need to be pumping money into this it's, team. It's, it's all going to come through from grassroots level. Everything comes through grassroots level. So your local clubs, supporting your local clubs, coaching, uh, investing in coaches, um, so that the younger group of players when they're coming through at 11, 12, 13, they aren't having to play with the boys and they're not having to play in mixed games. That you can have, you can employ coaches at a good standard, pitches, changing facilities, equipment, everything that goes with it, it all has to come from the bottom up. And seeing what is, what is possible in tournament football is only going to be, it's a massive opportunity for companies as well because you had a half a million eyes, a half a million people watched that game, uh, the first game. What an opportunity for businesses around the country to say, Sir, we're going to invest in this, we're going to back these girls, and we're going to, we're going to be at the forefront of finding the next lot of girls that are coming through, and we're only going to reap the rewards for it. The opportunities for this are endless. And the thing is, women's sport in general is an afterthought. It, it's, and it, it, it is changing. Mm-hmm. And the more it changes, the better it's going to be for everyone. Yeah. Because I love, I love being able to sit down and watch a match, but I also love being able to sit down and match, watch a match with my daughter even more. Yeah, all day. You know, yeah. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Katie McCabe said, she says, we will qualify more often for finals because this team is now too good to not qualify. Great exactly. words, great works. Kev, great to talk to you. Thanks a lot. No worries, guys. Cheers, Take care. Man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Liverpool, Kev. Yeah, great. Look forward to what lies ahead. And I'm sure it was very disheartening to lose uh, against Canada the other day, but wow, the future definitely looks bright. Um, in uh, other news today, uh, we were only just talking about American tourist Stephen Termini, who suffered serious injuries in Dublin city centre there uh, last week. Three teenage boys are facing charges following the vicious attack in Dublin. Um, the 57-year-old tourist from New York, who's also a musician, was rushed to hospital after the assault on the corner of Store Street and Talbot Street in the north inner city last week. The alleged attackers, three boys aged 14, 15 and 16, were remanded on bail yesterday pending directions from the Director of Public Prosecutions. And uh, I'm sure there will be more news to come on that uh, in the coming weeks. There's not a solicitor or barrister in the country who wouldn't agree with the, the call that the Criminal Justice Act needs to be completely overhauled. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Also... Uh, I've heard a lot of people in the last week saying July has been a washout, but wait till you hear this. July will be the hottest month on record, with further drastic increases likely. According to the Irish Independent today, another climate record is set to fall, with this month on course to be the hottest ever recorded. It follows the hottest June on record ever, and the hottest day, which was recorded on July 6th. 
cast your mind back, it was sweltering. Scientists say further records are likely to tumble. July's record is unlikely to remain isolated this year. Um, it's extremely likely that July 2023 will be the hottest July and also the hottest month. The uh, team of meteorologists have said it comes against a backdrop of intense and prolonged heat waves plaguing southern Europe and large parts of northern America and Asia. Uh, now, the average in July was um, rainfall. I think this is the. No, they're, they're talking about ground temperatures versus heat. Yeah, very technical stuff. What's August going to be like? <laughs> Somebody said that to me yesterday. It's like as if um, suddenly I've kind of become this great big crystal ball. Um, I'm not too sure. I'd love a few weeks of nice sunshine, actually, you know, rather than the cloudy appearance out there. But um, as uh, as the gang in the newsroom said this morning, just, um, in fact, Lorraine said it, it's just nice to be dry, just dry. Now, if you're looking for large slice pans or tin foil in at the kingdom this weekend, you, you probably haven't got to the supermarket soon enough because I would imagine rolls of tin foil and the old large slice pan will be much in demand. Um, probably not until tomorrow because the sandwiches will need to be fresh and the flasks will need to be piping hot. But it's no doubt that very early on Sunday morning, maybe even as early as tomorrow morning, they will be packed away in car boots and shoulder bags to be taken on the train as Kerry supporters prepare for the long trip to Crow Park on Sunday. GAA's two most successful counties also sharing the sport's greatest rivalry. It's been 38 years since Kerry beat Dublin in an All-Ireland final. Now cast your minds back to that. That would have been 1985. And although they have had plenty of wins over the Sky Blues in the intervening years, the final hoodoo is one of the con- that the county is keen to put right. It's another subplot in an intriguing fixture. We'll come back to that now in a second. But if any of you remember the three years, I think it was 76, 77 and 79 when um, Kevin Heffernan, Heffo's Army, of Dublin players uh, pretty much sent Cork or Kerry back to uh, the kingdom um, feeling rather dilapidated <laughs> and a bit red-faced. But believe it or not, they're, they're, they're fighting fit this weekend and they're saying to themselves, this is going to be our weekend. I don't know. Uh, Amanda DeLock is uh, a brave Kerry girl who's actually kitting out uh, the Toker Bar. This is Route 14 in Kerry Colours, even as I speak. Hi there, Amanda. Well, hello. How are you keeping? I'm very well. Now, I kind of have to remind you that I'm a dub. I'll go, I'll go very easy on you, so. <laughs> oh, well, like, I've, I've some of the, I've some of the car credentials. You know, I've, I've got the O'Callaghan connection and uh, my my wonderful grandmother, who was also a Callahan, married an O'Sullivan. So uh, now I know. No, I'm actually I'm actually O'Sullivan myself. Well, this is something um, I have to take up with you. Like, how come you've an O'Sullivan name yes. and and you're from Kerry? Well, I think there's there's about ninety percent of the population in Kerry have nearly got the O'Sullivan name or some connection to it. Yeah. But as there is so many O'Sullivans in the kingdom that um that have have the surname. Every O'Sullivan has their own nickname. Hence, hence why we have our family nickname going back many generations. Would be we'd be known as the Deluxe from Kerry. The Deluxe. Now, tell me where that originated. How did it come about? Um, do you know? To be honest, it's 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 a it's it's a very old nickname. Um, 
it came it came from my from my great 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 grandfather um just uh, uh, around the, the local area and it, like like everything in Kerry it came as a bit of commodity really and a, and a bit of development at the start but it's a it's a name that stuck with us and a name that we're very proud of now mm. so how how do the locals feel about you kitting out the bar there with um with the Kerry colors well you know he, here in route 14 um we we did it for we did, we did a small little display um for the match uh, against Derry and thankfully you know I, I was ready for a bit of backlash but we had so so much banter here in the bar and everyone got involved and and, and to be honest 90% of the bar were shouting for Kerry on the day and a lot of the locals said that if anyone was to take on Cork it or take on Dublin sorry it would be Kerry so the, the feedback here has just been fantastic. I have to say the phones have absolutely been ringing off the hook here in Route 14, um, trying to get in for the match now and everything. So we, we, we welcome all the phone calls. And uh, look, it's, do you know, it is a bit of development at the end of the day. And look, as Route 14 is a new business and uh, we've only, we, we're not even two years old just yet. Uh, it's great to get the name, the name out there. And uh, we actually have two sister businesses, um, which would be Copper Grove and Bandon, and that's owned by uh, Mr. Donald Kelleher. And then the Titanic Bar and Grill would be another sister business of ours, and that would be owned by Alan Murphy. Two very well-known plenties, yeah, yeah. I just want to get yeah, my exactly. facts right. I, I, I was wrong in my... Um, in, in my uh, my anticipation of a possible three-in-a-row bid by Dublin. Um, I don't know whether you remember Mike, Mikey Sheehy Sr. scoring one of the most famous goals in the history of Gaelic football. It came in 1978, I'm being reminded, in that year's All-Ireland no, final. I, I, no, I, I, I am a 93 baby myself, so I might have missed that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but listen, seriously, Amanda, these, these three games were probably historically three of the finest games ever played between... Uh, Kerry and Dublin um, but Now we are hoping that on Sunday it'll be another historical game and I think it's about time that we took Sam home from Dublin from the Dubs right. It's about time, it's been, it's been a long time coming, you know Yeah. Well I think Stephen Cluxton will probably have to look in his wardrobe for it, will he? Well, he'll have to have some bit of a look anyway, maybe give it an old dust off <laughs> Do you know, I'm curious about this. Um, do you think Cork people will be cheering on Dublin or Kerry, considering obviously that, you know, Kerry were the Monster finalists? Who do you think they will sort of, as it were, No, I have to say, Cork, Cork and Kerry have, have actually got a fantastic relationship as long as we're not playing each other. Right. So that's that's when the rivalry really does happen. Now I'd like to think, and and from the feedback we've gotten here in in, in Route 14, it is a case that a lot of our locals here are are rooting are rooting for the kingdom in in the upcoming game. Um, and to be honest, you know, it's wonderful to see them getting involved. And you know, we have we have Ted and Tara, our two Kerry teddy bears, proudly wearing their Kerry jerseys here sitting in the bar today. And the children love it and they're all taking photos. And, you know, look, it's just, at the end of the day, it's a bit of fun, you know. And, and to be honest, I think between Dublin and Kerry, for a lot of Cork people, Kerry would be the lesser of two evens. 
<laughs> and in fairness, being our local, our, our local, uh, being being na- our neighbours, our local neighbours, um, I have to say that as a Kerry woman living in Cork for the last ten years, the Cork people have opened their hearts to me. And to be fair, there's been no negativity and and no begrudgment about it. You know, everyone knows it's it's a bit of a, a bit of fun and a bit of banter, and it's a wonderful way to get the the bar's name across as well. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I suppose when you're the landlady and someone comes in and says, "I support Dublin," <laughs> no, they won't be they won't be begrudged. But I do have a few coroner seats um, <laughs> hidden away from them. Um, <laughs> So I do. Whereabouts in Kerry are you from? Um, I'm from just, uh, it, it's so Kerry. Uh, yeah. It's a little place called Kells. Oh, yeah, I know. Because yeah. about 15 mile outside of the town of Cahar Sivine. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful part of. No, of the it kingdom. is. Yeah, live. I live right on, right on the Ring of Kerry, and I've been, I've been working in the hospitality industry since I was, since I was 13. Um, so like that. No, this is. To be, to be honest, being the general manager here at Route 14 is, is genuinely a dream come true. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I appreciate all the Carconians putting up with me as well. How far from Ventry would you be? Uh, well, I, well I, I live in Riverstick myself and well, Route well, 14 I mean, back, back would... Then, back then, like oh, where, where you came from in, 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 in Kerry. Oh, sorry, sorry. So how far is um, Kells from, I, from Ventry? Would it be 40 miles, 30 miles? Oh, I'd say, I'd say plus maybe. I would be best knowing the geography. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Points have been my strong point. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, any of the Kerry players this weekend from round about the Kells area or are they further north? Uh, no, they'd be further north, all right. Um, there is, there is a, 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 young, a, a young Sullivan man from, uh, from Drummond Pierce, all right. Um, so um, we, um, we wish, uh, you know what, look, we wish all the best, but I think it's... Uh, I think it's David Clifford now who's kind of a, a stole the show when it comes to when it comes to the when it comes to the Kerry team now. Yeah, Stephen O'Brien's been named in the the team to start, um, and I'm also just looking again. Killian Spillane, who's fit once again, is also named on the bench. Uh, Michal Burns. Yeah, yeah. Tom O'Sullivan, Paul Murphy, you know, yeah. Gavin, um, Jack Barry. L- listen, there's there's to be fair now, and you know, you know what's lovely? I actually had the pleasure of. Um, of meeting, uh, now to be honest, they were having a meal, so I, I wasn't denying them to be honest. But I had the pleasure of meeting a couple of the Kerry lads there only recently enough because mm. um, I'm I was actually down in the Heights, uh, in the Heights Hotel in Clarney, um, actually preparing for, for my own wedding. And uh, I knew I knew it was going to be a um, the venue I wanted when I was inside the bar having a meal, and half the Kerry team walked in and I said, Well, well, this is definitely the venue for me now, anyway. <laughs> so it's uh. <laughs> It was a it was a no brainer then. Mm. Just to put everything on the record here, uh, Sunday's showdown will be the thirty third senior football championship meeting between the counties since they first met in eighteen ninety two. Now I don't even remember that. Kerry have won eighteen times to Dublin's eleven. Oh, while there were three draws from the previous thirty two clashes, uh, you'd need Marty Morrissey here to be actually serving this up. <laughs> One of the things. Well, I, I lo- think I yeah. think it's time. I think it's time for history to change. Oh yeah. Well, I suppose yeah. She will give you a chance. <laughs> exactly. 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 I think. Yeah. Uh, look, I think we've we've a very strong team, and I know I know Jack very well. Jack was a uh, Jack was my Irish teacher once upon a time back in Clash and Eskelliga. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, fair, I know. Look, we're man, we're Jack wishing we're wishing all the lads. Ah, listen, and 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 great crack as a teacher as well. In fairness to him, yeah. but look, we we really are wishing all, all the lads the best. And uh, just just so everyone out there is aware, the match will be playing here from three thirty across all of our televisions here in Route fourteen, and we'll have it on the big screen. And uh, and we look forward to welcoming all of all of the Kerry people here living in Cork, and all of the Corkonians that would like to you know give us our support. Or if you're coming in to support Dublin, you won't be begrudged either. Oh, well, I might just do that. Thanks, Amanda. Fantastic, and uh, we very much appreciate the call. And uh, if you're ever looking for a good roast dinner, make sure to call down to see Route 14. Oh, I've heard they're massive. Thanks, Amanda. Take care. That's Amanda Delock there from Route 14 Bar. Um, the only thing that'll be missing on Sunday will be the dulcet tones of Michal and hurting, but I'm sure he'll be watching it at home. So then, will Annette take up Danny's offer of a date? There's much going on in the background, but you'll have to wait until Monday to find out. Today's show was edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal. Uh, and thanks to Wayne on the desk, we'll be back on Monday morning from nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Fox 96 and